With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Hospital in Santa Monica. She experienced racial harassment and bullying by co-workers. I was called racial names, um, the N-word, other names in a different language. Burden's job was to draw blood from patients. According to the lawsuit she filed for discrimination and wrongful termination, she did her job well and there were no complaints. She claims fellow employees tampered with her work. Some of my blood samples that I would uh, draw from patients in the hospital were being discarded in the trash and also being labeled with another patient's name to try to sabotage my reputation and my performance. But that could cause serious problems to a patient. Yeah, absolutely. In her complaint, she says she reported it to her supervisors, but they didn't investigate or take any corrective action. Ms. Burden did tell her supervisor about that verbally. She complained in writing. Her The emails that she sent complaining of bullying and harassment were absolutely ignored by both of her supervisors. After a year, Burden was fired. She sued and a jury agreed it was racial harassment and awarded her $1.58 million. UCLA issued a statement which says in part, we are disappointed with the verdict and we're reviewing the decision and considering all available options. UCLA Health is committed to maintaining a workplace free from discrimination, harassment, and retaliation of any kind. Instead of issuing a statement that says we're disappointed by the verdict, maybe the UCLA hospital should look inward and figure out how can they do better both for their employees and their patients. Burton is glad this painful ordeal is over and she can now move forward. She hopes no one else has to go through what she did. Little brother! I heard y'all ain't hitting in New York. Word. Word. I heard y'all ain't hitting in L.A. Word. 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 I heard y'all ain't hitting in North Carolina.
Carolina. Black farmers in the United States are few and far between. In North Carolina, only about 2,000 black farmers. Dwindling numbers make it even more important to capture the living histories of the people who fish and harvest our food. Stories like the Simmons family in Brunswick County. As much as is possible, we are masters of our own domain. That's the thing that I love. We do the work and it comes to us. And we own some of the land that we're doing it on. Melody Hunter-Pillian is a Ph.D. student in public history at NC State University. She collected voices of farmers and fishers in the southeastern tip of North Carolina. Her oral history project explores the pressures on farmers in the face of uh, the last loss of land and the ever-present threat of climate change. Melody, welcome to the State of Things. Good to have you here. Good to be here. And I was so excited when I just heard those voices for the first time being broadcast out to the public, <laughs> those folks sharing their stories. And it sounds so good. It's even more exciting. Well, what motivated you to collect those voices in the first place? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I thought I was going to be doing a story about climate change. Last year, I went to Puerto Rico, had interviewed some uh, resource managers there after Hurricane. Uh, Maria, and also they were experiencing extreme drought. And I thought, I want to inter- interview people in eastern North Carolina, farmers particularly, mm. uh, fishermen about that. Um, and then I found out it was more than just climate change. It's more um, history. It's more about oral traditions and how people preser- uh, persevere and survive through different challenges that are more than just climate change. So it became many different things. Well, one of the challenges is just staying on the land. I mean, we talked in the last segment about the loss of farmers in general in mm-hmm. the United States and even steeper loss in the number of black farmers in the United States and North Carolina. What accounts for some of that? That's right. So um, in 1921, in every seven farmers in America were African-American farmers. And the latest USDA census report that came out in April of this year showed that that was down to just 1.3% of all farmers in America are African-American farmers. And part of it was um, uh, Jim Crow uh, after enslavement uh, and and people were set free. Jim Crow laws made it very difficult for African-Americans to own land. Those African-Americans who did own land and were able to farm found it very difficult to um, garner support from the federal government. The USDA had loans, but they were administered by usually local Southern folk um, who did not deal fairly. And so it was not a fair playing ground for African-American farmers. But what you see through that, part of that, uh, is that they were able to come together as much as they could to keep the land between themselves. Another problem that you had with land loss uh, was the migration of African-Americans during Jim Crow because they went to the North or to the Midwest uh, for what they thought might be better opportunities. And then just legally, African-Americans did not have the resources to hold on to their land. So the way that they were passing the land down was more of a personal thing to family members rather than a legal thing. So there was no clear title, no clear wills, and that made it easier for other people to then um, take those lands. So you talked to the people who are still there. You focused on Brunswick County. Uh, How many black farmers out there? Not very many. There are about 63 black farmers in Brunswick County. Um, But I think what's even more uh, perhaps disturbing, if I can use that word, is that there are only four black farmers under the age of 35 in Brunswick County. And so one of the families I, I interviewed, the Simmons family, three of Cleve Simmons' sons are under the age of 35. They represent just about 
all there is of that handful of young black farmers. So it's the future. When you think about that, it's hard to imagine the future of black farmers when you don't have a population of young black farmers in Brunswick County anymore, according to the numbers. Well, and you did talk to them, and it's a family that has worked to preserve the land and for whom preservation is, is important. And they love to talk about the stories. I want to play a clip here from your oral history just to give us a sense of, of this family and their connection to the land. The <laughs> most important one, never plant on the east wind. Good Lord. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? It says so in the Bible, the east wind brings a man no good. If yeah. you plant on the east wind, it'll kill everything. It's just, it'll come up, but it will not produce. And that's from way, way, way biblical days. Right. Now let's talk a little bit more about that and the fact that so many, there's a lot of science in farming and yet not always. That's right. So these men are telling their own story. It's a very distinct and unique story, a very American story, too, very North Carolina story. And what I love about that, it really gets to the heart of, of oral history and oral traditions is that these stories are perishable. And once they're gone, they're just gone. You can't get them back. And that's, that is why it is so important to capture those stories now, share those stories. And what do those stories say as sort of micro histories? What do they say about a larger history of the American South and just of America in general, just by knowing the experience of these farmers and their family and how they have uh, shared different experiences and learn through these experiences by sharing these stories together. So they still count on those old stories that they um, brought down through from their grandparents, our great-grandparents, and everyone I interviewed connected their larger story to their uh, slave ancestors. They were all able to point to when my people came to this part of Brunswick County. And that's a part of their story is the history. It's very present today. Well, and you can hear in their voices the joy that they, they feel just in conveying this story and recalling, right, these things yes. that they've heard. And and it's over and over again. When we said don't plant in the East, everybody's heard that a million times. I heard that in his voice. I could hear the million times he heard that, even though I've never heard it before in my life. And this, I think, is some of the beauty of oral history is that it conveys the power to that mm. family of knowing this and having the opportunity to talk to somebody like you and archiving it uh, and recalling these stories. Right. And sharing it with others. And I think it resonates with a lot of people. So this family has that story. Other families, like you said, you've heard the story before on the East Wind. And because it does have these biblical roots and connections to other families have shared this story. So I think that many Southerners, not just black Southerners, but white Southerners, um, people who are Native American, Lumbee Indians who farm in that area too and in other areas that are nearby can um, relate to that story. And it resonates when we hear it through these very real voices that have these uh, very distinct dialects from Eastern North Carolina, which I think are rich and beautiful to listen to. And they is very clear that there's a commitment to staying on the land. I want to yes. hear another clip from the Simmons family talking about their commitment to keep farming and to maintain ownership of the land. You'll also hear the voice of a neighbor, Louis Dozier. Hey, you know, when Folks, well, you ain't going to get nothing out of farming. Farming's hard work. It's this, it's that. Somebody got to do it or you don't eat. Exactly. Right. And, of course, you want to weed the negative out as much as you can, but passing along good oral traditions is something that's key and essential to building and keeping a good community. As much as is possible, we are masters of our own domain. That's the thing that I love 
we do the work and it comes to us and we own some of the land that we're doing it on and actually we're looking to buy land not for development but to keep it pure for farming that was the key when i was growing up families were found we all went to church together we all ate together we all uh, farmed together communities and families and that i think was one of the things that kept us together and we were able to save the land as long as we could Simmons family from Brunswick County, North Carolina. Family is Father Cleve, sons Troy, Justin, and Brian. Their neighbor, Louis Dozier, also included. Their story is featured in a new oral history project from NC State Public History PhD student, Melody Hunter-Pillion. Melody's going to share her work at the Black Communities Conference on September 9th through the 11th at the Carolina Theater in Durham. And, of course, we've got the information at our website, stateofthings.org. So you can hear the commitment that they have. But the fact is, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that there aren't many farmers left is a lot of people leave. They leave voluntarily because it's hard work. And, you know, it doesn't always pay. No, that's right. And so what you have is this really compelling narrative that these um, farmers can tell through their own experience. So they are telling the experience. They make meaning out of this very unique experience that they're having. And in doing so, they are really getting at the heart of uh, a complex history as well, a complex history that strings itself into the present. And that is with um, African-American farmers in particular, there's this um, sort of dichotomy that you have that land is a contested space, has been historically for a long time. Um, Land can be a conduit or an avenue to independence and freedom historically at one time, but land also has these characterizations in the African-American community, agriculture does, with subjugation because of enslavement. So what do you do with this complex um, sort of thing that's going on? And what these farmers are saying is, this is independence. Owning land is owning something real. Making something productive out of the land is a real contribution, and that you can make this living at it. As small farmers, you may have to do other things as well, but that's a history, too, that Louis Dozier, if you come to the Black Communities Conference and listen to the full podcast, will talk about how his great-grandparents worked in the sawmills and his grandfather worked in the sawmills so that they could continue to be farmers. So what are the things that you do to persevere in the face of how you feel about farming, that farming is a respectable occupation. Farming is something that makes a contribution to American society. And farming is something that does give you independence and power in many ways, and that it's important. But they have to work together in figuring out how to keep the land. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, August 9, 2019. So I have been told. This is our weekly forum on neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, If we have any non-white listeners in the known universe, you don't have problems with your white coworkers sabotaging your work, attempting to steal the land where you have your business, farm, whatever it is located, you don't have those problems. They call you by your name. They don't make up nicknames. 
racist slurs to call you on the job. You don't have any of those issues. If you need a vacation day, sick time, you get it the first time asked without question, without fail. You get all your promotions on time. You get all your raises, sparkling performance reviews. Please, you should be the first person to dial in the number 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Folks acting a fool in the summertime. Certainly, if there are folks who uh, have problems of any sort uh, and would like counter-racist suggestions, codified feedback to try to help solve problems without creating new problems. Number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. If you would like to join in the dialogue but you're unable to call, you can drop us an email untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. We can read your commentary live on the air. Uh, or if you have your own situation, if you have uh, suggestions for what's heard on the program, drop an email and we will share as we are moving through. Uh, to begin, I am certain, at least for the folks uh, in the States, may, well, at least for the folks in the States, I would think. Maybe people in North America in general, Western Hemisphere, eh, maybe just folks in North America. Uh, this past week, much like the summer of 2016, when Donald Trump was elected, it is election season, they say, uh, they had Alton Sterling, the shooting in uh, Dallas as well with the enforcement officials. They used uh, a drone type device to deliver an explosive, kill a black male suspect in that one. Much like that summer, I suspect that the recent mass shootings in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio came up in the workplace for a lot of people in some way, shape, form. These type of events, my general rule is that you are not in a workplace situation to share your thoughts uh, on these opinions and, you know, to sit around and, you know, chat it up about the manifesto or anything like that. General rule uh, is always, I don't talk politics on the job. Now, that doesn't mean if you have a white woman, a white man in your workplace, and they want to volunteer information and or their opinion on these matters, if you are interested, if you feel like this might be constructive in helping you learn about white people or at least this white person that you work with, you certainly can listen and maybe even ask that person questions. Uh, that certainly is a part of some folks counter racist code. If folks were able to do that and get any useful information, please share if you had any interesting uh, exchanges. Uh, but it should not be uh, a situation where it's they come in and oh. What do you think about the shootings that happened this weekend? And, you know, they expect you to take the floor and share your beliefs for the next, you know, three, four minutes while we're on a smoke break or coffee break or whatever it is in the workplace like that. 
should not be happening. I generally am suspicious uh, of that sort of exchange, uh, like they're trying to see if you're going to say something inflammatory that they can use against you in the workplace. But we'll see if that, you know, was a topic of conversation uh, for folks this week and how they handled it if it did come up. As well as workplace safety, I'd be curious if any folks uh, in any of their work capacities uh, had any conversations about workplace safety, violence in the workplace, what's acceptable. This would definitely be uh, a refresher for any references if there is any talk uh, about violence, firearms, guns. Uh, in the workplace, Boop. this would be the new reference uh, as to why that is not appropriate, acceptable, safe uh, discussion or behavior for a workplace environment where we want to be all about safety. Uh, let's see. So that's one. Uh, two. Last week, I asked if we had any listeners who had fashioned or were even working on counter-racist code uh, if you are expecting a child and you are working. And didn't hear a whole lot of feedback on that one. Uh, not that I'm surprised because I hadn't brought it up uh, or talked about it. So uh, as I said last week, I definitely think it's important uh, because people do get pregnant, I hear. Uh, and so you might be a non-white person who gets pregnant and are still working, you know, before you get to that time where it's time to do labor and all, uh, it might be good to have a code and to think in advance about, you know, what will this mean for how I function in the workplace? What does this mean for the type of questions that I might be asked, male or female? Certainly, this is something to think about if you're a female, like, wow, what type of questions, what type of information am I willing to share? You know, if they ask, are you going to have uh, a natural childbirth? You're going to have a home birth, hospital birth, vaginal birth. I mean, you know, all of the, am I going to, how much information am I going to share with these folks? How much information should I share with them? What way am I going to go about doing that so that it's not awkward for me and this doesn't become something to pester about? Am I going to tell them the sex uh, of my child? All of that. Uh, information. When you have appointments, are you going to keep them abreast of that? Because that's what I said last week. It can take, I have seen where if there's a pregnant person on the job, like, oh my goodness, like just the amount of badgering and questions, even if it's like a white person who is liked, the, just the amount of tensions and how invasive uh, it can be. And then they want to plan and have a baby shower for the person sometimes. It can be quite a bit to consider. Uh, at least from my experience, it tends not to be as uh, intense for the male, although don't think you're going to get off free if you are a male and they find out that, oh, you're expecting a child. Uh, it's probably going to be, you know, some questions you should prepare. And the same thing. Do I want to share this at all? What sort of information do I want to share? Lots to think about. If folks have information on that, share. And again, as I said last week, uh, if maybe you weren't thinking about counter-racism at the time when you were pregnant, maybe that's something that you started investigating after you had your child. That could be the case for many folks. Uh, with that, you can reflect on that experience and say, oh, wow, knowing what I know now, I would change things. I would do this or I would not do 
that. That can be extremely helpful for folks uh, who are preparing for that or who will have that in their future. Uh, let's see a few other things before we get to the callers, the audio clips uh, that we heard at the beginning. Clip number one, uh, they talked about the UCLA worker uh, and she won was it a $1.5 million lawsuit? Not necessarily massive for uh, Nicole Burton. That was the victim's name, black female. Uh, when I first read this report, I thought back, I think it was like 2012, 2013. There was a black uh, professor, no less, doctor, I believe, at UCLA and his colleagues uh, had made photographs of him as an ape and sexually explicit images. This was a black male, and I think he had filed uh, a suit about the incorrectness of this because it had been ongoing. That was the first thing I thought about this, that there is a pattern uh, of this sort of conduct uh, at the UCLA Medical Center. That was number one. Number two, and I took a lot of notes just on this little short snippet alone. I can post the article so you all can get more of the details. The one that I'm reading from uh, UCLA hospital worker awarded $1.5 million in racial harassment suit. Second thing, medical apartheid, the coon man, although uh, this report is happening uh, in California, uh, the coon man, Governor Ralph Northam in Virginia, uh, my nominee for one of the people of the year easily. Uh, that is med school. We've had a lot of folks who've come on the program and talked about the uh, racist environment of medical school and the disregard for black people that is legendary. That's why we read uh, Harriet Washington, Medical Apartheid. Uh, number three, everybody should have a code for racist, uh, racist slurs in the workplace. This is something we talk about on a regular basis. Should not be a surprise. Anything that they call you, coon, nigger, spear chucker, should already have that in your code. Not being surprised, but just how I respond. They said that her white colleagues, racists, tried to sabotage her work to impugn her reputation as a professional in a medical environment. That's something that we've talked about on this program a lot. Now, I don't remember immediately someone saying that they worked in a medical capacity and, and they were being sabotaged. Uh, but people coming in and saying that either something at their desk has been rifled with, information has been deleted from their calendar. We have had lots of that rubbish being left uh, at the desk area. Just lots of tacky things to sabotage your performance, not being given information in a timely manner so that you could make appearances at meetings and know what's going on. The whole gambit of it. I have never heard of this one. And I mean this like, wow. You're tampering with blood samples at a hospital just because you don't like niggers. This is one that I don't have any information, but I mean, I'm just following logic. I encourage that all the time. I sign my uh, messages sometimes. My sign out is eat well, use logic. If we're at a hospital, UCLA, and they've deliberately medical apartheid, we got a lot of black people who don't have the best medical care because of white supremacy racism. Got a lot of non-white people, non-white people, period, in that position. I would think it might be possible that it was a white patient 
where they went in and tampered with the blood sample. Now, maybe not. Maybe they were really refined racists. So before they went to sabotage uh, Miss Burton, maybe they went and checked to make sure that it was all nigger patients. So we'll mess them up. If we mess the results up and they end up dying, malpractice or whatever, it'll just be, you know, another dead digger. Whoopee. Like two for one. Whoopee. Maybe that was how it went down. Maybe not. Sabotaging medical supplies in a hospital? The word is not just white racism. I don't even say that. White racism and all these other goofy terms that people use that are inaccurate. White supremacy. Supreme means more important than anything. You at the hospital, what is he supposed to take the Hippocratic Oath? Isn't that what they say? I'm not a doctor. Never played one. But I think that's what they say. No harm. Forget that. We are about white supremacy, racism above anything else. Any and everything else is a way distant second, like not even close. Let's see. They are going to appeal. They said that. UCLA, they got lots of money, millions and millions and million, uh, millions robbing the O'Bannon brothers, NCAA suit, got lots of money. So I'm sure they will appeal. Uh, and they said in the report uh, that I'm reading from, this started in 2016, her being called a nigger. They got they got here specifically. Anytime you can refer to your coworker as a nigger in 2016, it's unacceptable. Would have been unacceptable in 1616, I would hope. But 2016, and this uh, it was reported today, August 9. So this is three years of dealing with this. When Mr. Edward Williams uh, and Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. and other folks, and they talk about if you're going to do uh, counter racism, if you're going to do your documentation, you say, hey, well, I might get an attorney. Attorney General, as Mr. Uh, Fuller talks about, this is a violation of constitutional law. I've been mistreated here. If you're going to do that, it might take three years. Sometimes it might take longer. Mr. Williams, I know, emphasizes that point because sometimes that will be the tactic of white supremacist racists to see if we can just wear this person down. We'll have endless paperwork and endless meetings and it'll just take time and time and time and time. It'll stress them out because they don't know how this is going to happen and they might have to find another job and we'll have all other sorts of racist activity happening to them in the meantime. So they'll get worn down and they won't be able to see it through. That's how it works. Sometimes we had uh, it was one case. It had been 12 years and they still had not come to a conclusion. No end in sight. Got to be prepared that this is likely not going to be something that will be resolved efficiently. Not going to be something where in 30 minutes we all sit down, this is hashed out, and we move on to something else. It might be a year, might be two years to get resolution. Am I willing to be committed? And if the answer is no, being truthful about that, that, hey, I have to figure out something else because I'm not going to invest two years uh, in this. Sometimes it's just not a worthy investment of time and energy. Uh, the farming uh, segment in North Carolina. Wow. I don't think we have done very much in terms of workplace racism with uh, farming, but that certainly would qualify. I think everything that I heard in that report, theft of land, laws that make it difficult uh, for black people to farm, even the environment where you don't have a lot of younger black farmers so that you have that next generation uh, of black farmers. So this is like, oh, yes, I have seen examples of this walking around. Lots of that. And we even heard that report just a few weeks back where they were talking about in the same state, North Carolina, Mr. Scotty Reed, uh, talking about how whites have been so skillful 
at stealing property. That was how the report ended. All about keeping the land. If you want to have black farmers, got to have property. And they have been whites so skillful at stealing property from black people worldwide. Major component of racism, white supremacy. Uh, Let's see. One more report I wanted to share before we get to the callers. I'll sprinkle in emails as we proceed. Uh, This is an article I tried to find audio, video for the support. I failed, uh, but I can read. Uh, So this is from the Charlotte Observer. Mr. Scotty Reads, North Carolina, again, uh, assisted living center, gave black worker cake with noose slave number. NC suit says. The report reads. A black housekeeper is suing the assisted living facility in Rutherfordton, North Carolina, where she said she was reportedly given a birthday cake with a noosed up black hangman in 2014. The facility argues it was just a stick figure, but a federal judge is letting the case move forward. While it is unknown whether these claims will survive testing a later stage of this litigation, the allegation in her complaint, when viewed cumulatively and taken in light most favorable to her, are sufficient, sufficiently plausible, a magistrate judge in the Western District of North Carolina said in July, recommending the suit continue. A federal judge accepted his recommendation on Monday and formally rejected the senior care facility's motion to dismiss. Tanya R. Chapman penned her complaint last year saying she was a jack of all trades at Oakland Living Center, where she worked as a housekeeper, personal care aide and cook for more than 10 years, probably woefully underpaid. But as the lone black employee, she said the Oakland and the family who runs it harassed her to the point of quitting. I deserve to be treated better, Chapman wrote. Oakland and the defendants did not respond Tuesday to McClatchy News Group's request for comment. Chapman, who is not represented by a lawyer, alleges in the complaint that she was subject to various instances of harassment during the course of her employment, including hearing one defendant reportedly say they needed a new beach house because of all the blacks at Myrtle Beach. Talked about that one before. Uh, Andrew Call, uh, he was on the program and he talked about specifically taking black-owned beachfront property uh, so that black people do not have accesses to beaches. That's what his whole book is about. He was on the program uh, in 2015, just looking at the patterns. Continuing, she said later in the suit that she was forced to turn sideways like a prisoner when taking her photo ID while another defendant joked she would be given a slave number on her badge. The young son of one defendant also reportedly taunted Chapman with a chant, nigger, nigger, get to work, nigger. And told her that his father had called her a lazy black nigger because she didn't come to work, Chapman said. Now, again, the first portion of that paragraph read the young son of one defendant. They don't give an age. But this doesn't sound like it was a 15-year-old or a 17-year-old. And even I find it strange. Uh, even if let's let's be generous. They say young son. We'll say uh, they didn't bring a toddler in. <laughs> we won't go three. We'll go 11. What is an 11-year-old doing in this facility 
with uh, enough autonomy. Look here, nigger. My dad called you a lazy nigger. Said you don't work hard enough. Taking a day off from school. Didn't like the lunch menu today, so I'm going to hang out with my dad and observe the niggers. White people are ignorant about racism. Continuing. I asked him to please stop talking about the young white child, but he continued the ugly language. Should have been racist. Should have been racist. Uh, He continued the ugly language. He wrote in the complaint. He then... He then kicked me and hit me on the bottom. I assume she means rear end. I just ignored him until he got bored and walked out of the kitchen for a minute. Now, I said, 11, I'm going to have to go down in age because I don't think I could ignore that sort of behavior from an 11 year old if they had kicked me and hit me on the rear end. In fact, I think I would suggest if it's a child, I don't know where the age would be set. But it would be substantially lower than 11 if anybody in a workplace environment touches you on the bottom, white or non-white, they would have to be like, I would say about eight. That's going to be about the cutoff. You can use your discretion. But I mean, 10, 11, 12 years old, I think you know about, you know, incorrect touching and where you should be touching people and all that. I think I understood that at that point. Uh, I've been around 9, 10, 11 year olds. They tend to understand where you are not supposed to touch people at and that sort of thing. So this was probably a child substantially younger than 11. I would think you all can give your own feedback. Wow. Chapman also said she was given a birthday cake in 2014 that depicted a black person in a noose. Oakland and the family responded with a motion to dismiss earlier this year, saying the image on the homemade cake, homemade, homemade, mm, on the homemade cake was actually three stick figures depicting Chapman and the twin children of a defendant. (laughs) Why would they have her with these white? Anyway, after this incident was reported to the defendant, he made his son apologize to Chapman and punished his son for making a rude comment. Why not racist? The motion states the defendants deny the allegations as presented by Chapman. The six-year-old, the six-year-old who reportedly used the slur is also not Chapman's employer nor an agent of Oakland, the family argues, saying in the motion that his words don't constitute an actionable claim. But according to the judge's July memorandum, claims for discrimination under the Civil Rights Act of 1964 need only to be shown as unwelcome based upon race and sufficiently severe or pervasive to create an abusive work environment. I think that would qualify even from a six-year-old. Though he questioned the validity of Chapman's characterization of the cake, he said the other allegations for racial discrimination were satisfactory. It's 2014. If you get a cake like that, there should be a photograph. Like, why do you have a cell phone if you're not going to pull it out and somebody gives you a cake with such a design? Continuing. He also said the question of whether her claims meet the severe or pervasive element is a close one, adding that the alleged racial slurs did not appear to be used pervasively. Nonetheless, Chapman does reference specific conduct that allegedly occurred during July and August 2018 in which a racial epithet was repeatedly directed at her, the lone black employee of the Living Center, with some instances occurring after she complained to her supervisor, he said. The defendants could even be held liable for the six-year-old's reported racial slurs. The judge added, given Chapman's allegations that the defendants were aware of the child's conduct and continued to allow it.
I will stop there, uh, although I guess I could just continue to read about workplace racism in North Carolina because the article directly below it from this week, black school workers lawsuit says North Carolina bosses called her hair unprofessional and banned her son. Now, look at that. The white six-year-old gets to come to work and sexually harass a black female. That's what I'm calling it, unless uh, callers think I misinterpreted that uh, passage where she said that this uh, white urchin hit her on the bottom after calling her a nigger repeatedly. Sexual harassment and racism, and he gets to hang out on the job. Black child gets banned, and his mom, we don't like her natural hair. Got a problem with you, too. Uh, I thought this report was pfft, illustration of white supremacy, ra- really illustration of why we have this broadcast every week, uh, workplace racism and why it is so important to have a code. Uh, we have people I know that work in the service industry, uh, and this is so dangerous because sometimes you might have to go to people's residence uh, to do the work, and that can present a lot more hazards. You might come directly in contact with a white child, that sort of thing, white grandchild, whatever it is. Uh have a code. Uh, I can only uh, emphasize as strongly as possible. Uh, touching is never OK in a workplace situation uh, under any circumstances. Uh, I don't care if it's a five year old, six year old, 66 year old. Touching is totally unacceptable. Uh, that is immediate stop halt. You know, this is this cannot be allowed to continue another second. Um, anytime, uh, because I've said these type of things end up uh, escalating frequently. Uh, I am sure that the white parents were not aware or excuse me, were not ignorant uh, about their child's uh, racist conduct. Uh, I have no reason to doubt that she would make up an incident like that at all. Uh, Who would even concoct uh, such a story? I am sure this child was not ignorant about racism. It sounds like they had probably, I believe exactly what he said from the mouths of babes. That's what they say. They had been talking about this lazy nigger. That's what they said in the report. That's what white people do. Talk about their ni- telling racist jokes. That's in, uh, we read the book, Joe Feagan. Well, I read the book, Joe Feagan. He was a guest on the program, 2010. That's in his book. He said it was uh, a five-year-old got in trouble at school because he was telling racist jokes. He was repeating that his family had sat around the table. This is what white people do. This is how they practice racism. He has a whole diary uh, telling out the incident in his book, Two-Faced Racism. If you have, I don't know if we talked about that, but if uh, people work on jobs where whites bring their children, that might be something else to have a very firm uh, code about. I would not encourage a whole lot of contact and, oh, I got candy for you and uh, whatever. Uh, If folks have a code about how you perform, how you conduct yourself when white sons, daughters, if they have, you know, bring a daughter to work or whatever it is, that would be grand to share. But Wow. Racist man, racist woman, racist child. The number again is 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, The email again is untiljustice at gmail.com. If you have, uh, again, if the terrorism from uh, Texas and Ohio. If that came up in your workplace environment over the past week, please share how you handled it. Uh, If you were able to ask questions and whites wanted to share their opinion on these events, please share. If we have folks uh, who have details around 
How do you handle expecting a child and you're on the job? What do you share? What do you not share? How do you cope with that? Because, I mean, that's going to be months of dealing with that in the workplace setting. That is definitely important information. Uh, and then if we have folks, if either you have your own situation to share, or you have thoughts on some of these reports that we heard, white six-year-old terrorist uh, brutalizing black females on the job. Uh, if you have commentary to share, line should be open. Uh, let's see, I will nab the folks who dialed in with hands up thus far. Hello, may I be heard? Greetings, Irie in Louisiana. Salutations, everybody. Hi, Gus. Um, I uh, want to share something that um, I thought about listening to um, your last broadcast on the gift of fear and workplace um, racism and and, and safety. Um, so I, there was a situation when I was um, in the military where um, we came in, you know, that morning with going through our process, checking emails and stuff. And the sergeant that sat across from me, a uh, black male, was like, uh, hey, open your um, email. And um, I did. And the one that he was referring to, he was like the one from Staff Sergeant XYZ. So I opened it up. It was a video. And I didn't know what was going on at first. I just saw a, a man sitting on the floor in a jumpsuit, red or uh, uh, orange jumpsuit, and masked men um, standing around him with weapons and someone reading something off of a uh, paper. And then all of a sudden, they began to, um, I don't even want to repeat what they, they did to the guy, but they, they killed him. And the gentleman I'm referring to is a white male named Nick Berg, I believe. So people can look up if they want what happened to him, not the video. Please don't do that. Um, but, yeah, we saw it. I was instantly traumatized, like disgusted. I, I, there's a probably like revolted would be a better word and shocked because I was like, wait a minute, like, are we supposed to, are, are we supposed to be able to like send stuff like this to people, you know? So of course I would never do it, but I'm sitting there like, I don't think this is supposed to be happening that somebody's supposed to be transmitting a murder, a snuff film to us. <laughs> who is a high rank, you know, so I didn't say anything. I didn't report it. Um, and I don't think it would have been a good idea even now to say anything because of how small um, the command was and probably still is. But I did inquire with the staff sergeant later, who was a white male married to a non-white Asian female with children. I said, um, staff sergeant, like, what made you send that video? He's like, oh, I just thought it was interesting. And he was, and I said, really? I'm like, do you watch films like this often? He said, oh, yeah. When I go home, that's all I do. He said, I don't even pay attention to my wife and kids. I just go in the room and watch this SHIT all night. And I just, that was one of the things that helped me know, yeah, I'm probably not re-enlisting. But I would ask Mr. DeBecker what he thinks of a situation like that on the job because someone mentioned, you know, people looking at weapons magazines. I think this might be as equivalent to that, if not worse, for someone to send snuff films to everybody. And the majority of people, um, with the exception of two people in the, well, excuse me, with the exception of the staff sergeant, uh, who else was white? 
okay, I'm getting my words mixed up. There were like three other white people, but everybody else. So we're talking about three out of 11, you know, were non-white black. (laughs) And he sent it to all of us. And it was just, it was stunning. It was stunning. And I would really ask Mr. Decker, is, is, is that an indication of oncoming workplace violence? You know, uh, that should be reported. What would you do um, in that instance? So that's all I want to share. Excuse um, excuse me, I was trying to get my thoughts together. I had it together, but, you know, it, it's still kind of rattling now that I think about it. So thank you. I'll mute my line. Have a good evening, everybody. Much obliged uh, for sharing. Uh, no apologies needed. Uh, that is, you know, that is the nature of trauma. It can be difficult to process. I think that is a, unless I have misinterpreted Mr. DeBecker's work and he may say that I have, but I think that is exactly, uh, one of the pins that he talks about things that we should be alert to certainly inappropriate for a workplace setting, but it's exactly where he says people, uh, joking about, uh, violent events, sharing violent events, uh, that's exactly uh, the sort of things that he talk about. Uh, unless, you know, viewing that sort of content is a part of your job, and I can't imagine how it would be. What does this have to do with our workplace? That's the exact way that I would approach it, given all. And I, I would tie in exactly what happened this week, given all the carnage that we have been subjected to. Why on earth would we be voluntarily uh, subjecting? fellow co-workers to similar trauma even if we're in the armed services why would we be sending this around willy-nilly for what constructive purpose that's how i would address it uh is this is this the sort of conduct that seems like oh yeah we should be sharing this sort of thing in a professional work environment where we are about safety bring that one up too even the military is this the sort of conduct or content, excuse me, that we want to be sharing amongst coworkers to promote a safe work environment and see what they say? But I'm I'm certain Mr. DeBecker, yep, right on the checklist, sharing that sort of content. And I did press the button for the cowbell, but I didn't hear it. So I don't know if it got recorded or not. I have to go back and listen to the archive, but it was supposed to be right there. Uh, I hit it uh, timely. She said, I prefer this sort of content to being with my wife and children non-white uh spouse offspring presumably would be you know non-white maybe uh but i prefer seeing a beheading to you know hanging out with these non-white people my family so-called may i ask something Gus? yes ma'am really quick you know and now that you say that looking back and knowing what i know now um i know me being the age i was and also Kind of understanding, not com- you know, not as much as I know now, but knowing not only is this man white, but he has so much more uh, rank and time and services than me. I honestly, would probably would have still been like a little bit apprehensive to even ask, is this appropriate for the workplace? Because you know, I I feel like for him to be so, um, as they say, bold or emblazoned to even send something out like that kind of signal to me that he has a a reprieve or some type of uh, immunity to uh, um, what do you call it to being um, admonished for something like that. So I probably even still now wouldn't, wouldn't say anything um, 
and that maybe that's incorrect, but you know, it's just really, it's different uh, when you're in the military versus a, a workplace. And that, that's why I said to myself, you know what, I just need to get out of this as soon as possible with a, with an honorable discharge as quickly as I can and, and as safely as I can. So that's all. Thanks. I understand that is a logical uh, position to take in the system of white supremacy racism. We've had folks call in for workplace racism and their workplace was in the military. And I've said that's almost like a whole different set of rules. Um, You're working with people who are armed killers. Might be armed at the time that this incident is happening. That changes things drastically uh, for how I'm going to uh, respond. They have the stockade, you know. If you lip off at McDonald's, they don't have a prison that they can send you to. You know, maybe they fire you or demote you. You got to, you know, cook chicken nuggets for the week. But I mean, they got the stockade in the military. I mean, it's a very different uh, situation. So I can totally grasp uh, having a, a different mentality or being a bit more hesitant uh, to challenge things uh, in a military setting. I think Jackie, uh, Jackie Robinson was court-martialed. And on uh yeah, totally different setting, armed services. Uh, if we have uh, other folks, certainly if we have any folks who have uh, military experience uh, about that sort of content and how you would handle it, I still think it's that is totally inappropriate, not professional, and is not promoting workplace safety. But uh, if we have other folks who dialed in, if you have uh, questions, comments, suggestions, proceed. Hi, guys. Greetings, be in Toronto. Greetings, greetings to yourself and guests and listeners. Um, yes, I wanted to add that um, at the uh, plantation that I'm currently at, uh, about two weeks ago, there was a uh, a question that was done by the Joint Health and Safety Committee, um, inquiring as to um, different. Um, protocols to take in the event of a fire drill, in the event of a gas leak, uh, uh, water being off, um, you know, lights being a power outage and, you know, things of that nature. And the one thing that was absent was what if there was an active shooter or um, what if there was uh, violence on site? Um that, uh, you know, didn't have to require a gun, but was a a weapon of some sort. And uh, they didn't have an answer to that. So uh, because I I used to work in the financial sector, um, uh, during the the safety drills, that was one of the things that um, staff would undergo is finding out, okay, what would happen in the event of a robbery um, or in the event that there was aggression, uh, you know, there, there would be, uh, you'd know where all the, the, the buttons for the silent alarm would be. Uh, there would be codes um, that would be made up to, to help determine where the location of the, um, of the activity was occurring. Um, same in group homes. Uh, if there was uh, violence happening and there's only one staff person with a very aggressive client, um, then uh, again, um, there would be a code word um, either saying assistance or saying something that, that will just alert attention. 
so uh, the feedback was taken um, to the Joint Health and Safety Committee, and it's with hopes that they will come up with uh, some sort of protocol. Um, as I had found out at the workplace, um, or plantation rather, that um, there was an incident where um, a disgruntled employee, uh, ex-employee rather, had managed to come into the building, uh, went into the kitchen and was looking into, um, we would call it the sharps drawer. The sharps would be like um, knives and um, and uh, scissors and um, anything, any object that is sharp to use as cutlery or as a utensil of some sort to complete a task in the kitchen because uh, there's a, kitch a kitchen on the plantation. And um, and uh, was told that there was a dis an ex-employee uh, that managed to come back into the building, was looking through the sharps, and uh, uh, they were... Um, uh, there was an intervention of which the, the person had to be escorted out by HR and uh, another employee. So uh, it's very real. Um, if there isn't um, a, a, a protocol around uh, safety in terms of violence and aggression, I would encourage um, callers and listeners to get on that. Uh, volunteer if you, if you must. Uh, but definitely get on it so that because uh, it's becoming more prevalent. So um, so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing um, is uh, an update or for the report I had made earlier about the plantation that I'm at. So the same white women who were wreaking havoc um, through mistreatment. Uh, I finally uh, disclosed to my supervisor as to what was occurring because uh, it was really getting to that point where it's it's like okay uh, it's it's above me and uh, the, something else needs to happen to have it changed um, by disclosing to the supervisor. Um, come to find out that uh, there has been lots of complaints about these uh, white women that were uh, doing the mistreatment. Um, the interesting thing about it is uh, they, the white women um, who are engaged in this, they have a knack for um, having the targeted person feel as if, you know, they're the only one. Um, come to find out there's other people around the office that, uh, or plantation that were also uh, being subjected to the same type of treatment. Um, so I was advised that um, based on what they've been doing, their days are numbered. Uh, so I'm just going to monitor and see. Uh, supervisor did advise that if, if um, any additional help was needed, you know, just say the word. And I'm like, okay, well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, continue the what I'm doing, which is the uh, watch and wait, because often these people uh, fall on their own sword. Um, they they get too cocky and and they uh, they end up uh, tripping over themselves uh, with with what they do. Uh, so that's that's where it's at right now. I continue to focus on my work. Um, uh, integrity, uh, which is my core value, 
continues to shine through. Um, so regardless of what I was being subjected to, um, still focused on my work. Um, so any other person who is going through that, um, just be uh, certain that, you know, uh, wait out, you know, the situation. Um, do what you can if if you need to. Do what you can to um, get the word out, speaking to the supervisor, to HR. Um, although they, in some cases they may not be uh, in favor of you, at least you've spoken out and attempted to do something, make sure to document. Um, so I'm, I'm just, it doesn't necessarily mean that something's going to be done, but I'm going to watch and see, um, you know, and um, they're aware that uh, the, the women that, the white women that were doing what the, they were doing with the mistreatment, they're aware of, of um, the fact that they're, they're not even doing their jobs, really. They'd be on their phones, and there's many eyes that are watching them as much as they're watching the targeted people. Uh, so I hope that was clear. Uh, I leave my line. Thank you very much. Much obliged to be in Canada. I was going to ask a quick question, uh, or I guess it's kind of two quick questions. Uh, were these sure. the other people that they are also tormenting in the office, are they white people? That's what I've come to understand. And I think that's the very thing that uh, caused them to fall on their own sword. Um, I really feel that if I was the only person, I, I don't think that it would have been noticed, but because um, other white people are also um, informing uh, management, uh, I think that's the reason why uh, it's now being looked at um, and taken a little more seriously. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking that if these other white women were not also being harassed, uh, how this would be uh, dealt with. Because uh, it's just like, oh, she's been mistreating all our employees and this nigger as well. Yeah, you might have to, might have to do something about this. Um, and I think that that is extraordinarily uh, intelligent. Watch and observe. Uh, Mr. Fuller says regularly, white people don't get fired. They get transferred and they tend to get lots and lots of second, third, 20th chances uh, to redeem themselves. So now they did mistreat some other white people. So you got that going. They might not get another chance since they mistreated other white people. But that has been uh, a pattern I've observed. So observe and see if they follow through and get rid of it. It's been my experience that. Uh, if they want to terminate a black person, it generally is not something that takes a month, 45 days, like, you know, they get you out of there. <laughs> they are tired of you. Uh, I would also uh, submit if these white chicks have been horsing around on their phone and harassing people and not even doing their work. I cannot imagine that the management is totally ignorant about all of that. Maybe they miss some of it. But I mean, if you're horsing around on your phone and not doing work. That would have to stand out at some point like, wow, you are still gaming on the phone. 
you were texting when I came through a half hour ago and you're still texting. I mean, at some point it would be, where's the work that you're supposed to be doing? That seems to be a pattern on this program. People reporting white people not doing their work, doing other things, telling on black people, spying on black, all kinds of things other than their work. I don't think white people are that ignorant about the number of lazy white people that they have on staff. I just don't believe that. I could be in error. Uh, other much obliged be in Toronto. Uh, oh, my question. I said I had like kind of one and my other one was, uh, do you think you should have reported this sooner since they were also harming other white people? Maybe if you had reported this sooner, things could have uh, been changed favorably for you earlier. Um, and that's a great question, Gus, as well. Um, I thought about it as well. And in fact, I'm, I've, I found that, and I, I was thinking about if I had reported it sooner, um, then the way that they were doing their techniques, um, it was, it was covert aggression in that, uh, it's, it's cloaked in, in plausible deniability. And uh, it would have been very difficult for me to try and prove at the time. Um, so I, in fact, I, I felt that it was much more beneficial to write it out um, and, uh, and just make sure that each morning before I went to the plantation, I made sure that um, whatever anxiety that I had, I, I would do an hour uh, cardio uh, in the morning to get out all the anxiety. Um, I would then uh, focus in my mind my own personal mantra for the morning as to, okay, this is the mission that I'm going into the plantation with. I'm going in to, um, you know, assist who I, I need to assist. I'm going to go there and be courteous to everybody. And um, as I as I usually am, and I'm just going to keep focus on my work because I I realized that the the ultimate reason as to why those white women were targeting me was because I'm really good at what I do. Um, and in my mind, it was like, okay, I am not going to have them derail me from my path, uh, regardless of how rude they're going to be. I'm going to still remain courteous. Um, no matter how much they try to bait me, I am not going to take the bait. Um, so pretty much in, in my mind, every time that I, I chose not to take the bait, I would praise myself internally, saying that good job for, for not taking the bait, and remind myself I'm going to starve this monster. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to starve them as the monsters. I'm going to starve them. I'm, I'm not going to give them any energy so they, because they get that dopamine effect. Uh, by trying to bait, and if they get the reaction that they want, that they get their reward. And they're sitting there like Pavlov dogs, you know, drooling at the mouth, hoping to get a reaction, and I wasn't going to give it to them. And I think that ultimately paid off because that showed the resiliency, that showed um, that I'm dedicated and focused and uh, will not be deterred. And I, I think that that ultimately shined through. Um, I don't know how long it's going to last. Because, again, in the system of white supremacy, it's like quicksand. Uh, stability is not certain. It's rather precarious. Um, but by writing it out, it generated, it, it, it allowed, it just gave them more leverage to get more cocky. And the more cocky they get, the, the more um, they will be making mistakes. 
and um, and and that was that was the logic that I used. That the more cocky they'll get, the more mistakes they'll they'll make, and you know, at some point they're going to hit against the wall, and you know, you know, they're they're going to be dealt with accordingly. And it looks like now seems to be the time. But again, just watching and waiting to see what happens. Mm. Context of white supremacy. Uh, I talked about uh, previously on the program uh, the importance of kind of having a ritual uh, that you go through in the mornings or whenever you, before you go to work, uh, just to kind of get your thinking, be prepared for what you're going to encounter. Uh, I think that's so important. Uh, You don't want to kind of rush into your work environment from a rushed or chaotic situation. Uh, You said being able to do an hour of cardio and to really prepare yourself for what you're going to encounter for the day, having a mantra that you say to yourself, self-praise when you respond well. That is outstanding. Uh, that is, and having a little bit of self-praise can be crucial to uh, self-care as well uh, to make sure that you have some reinforcement. Uh, but <clears throat> I just think it's so important uh, that there's some adequate preparation uh, because you know the hostilities are coming in some way, shape, form. Uh, just so whatever it is, uh, if it's you know that hour of cardio, I know some people just having 15, 20 minutes uh, where they get to work early. And then they can take 15, 20 minutes to just sit in their vehicle. They can listen to something. They can listen to nothing. You can do your mantra, breathing exercises, lots of things. Look at the stars. Look at the sun, whatever. Uh, But just having that time to mentally prepare, you can even think of counter-racist strategies, I think, that put you in a much better position to respond and may, may help minimize uh, some of those tendencies to respond uh, emotionally uh, or to just react uh, without, you know, kind of thinking out in advance, wait a minute, yeah, I think they did do something racist, let me, you know, kind of plot how I want to proceed with this, handle this in the best way I can. Much obliged, uh, be in Toronto. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, if you have suggestions, questions, comments, uh, line should be open. Uh, proceed. Uh, greetings, non-Clemson grad. Uh, let's see. Uh, I heard non-Clemson grad. Heard red in Nevada. Uh, I reckon we'll do females first. Uh, red in Nevada. Oh, thank you for allowing me to share. I'll try to be quick. Uh, hello, everyone, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, definitely apologize here about what's going on with being in Toronto. Um, I just wanted to, I guess, catch everyone up because I haven't been able to call in. Um, it's with the plantation that I've been at for a little while now. Um, I, it's really taught me to better deal with stress of constantly moving. And so the plantation that I'm currently on, I was participating in a program like an internship and they 
decided to um, hire people that they didn't originally want to do the internship. And then they decided, um, like with the internship, um, and actually with the internship part that I was working on, they hired a non-white person that wasn't black and then a, a white person who also wasn't apparently good enough for the internship, but they were good enough for the permanent position. I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's, that's par for the course, I guess. Um, but the internship was supposed to be a certain length of time, and they decided to all of a sudden stop it. So I had like one, no, I did have one day notice that my, the internship program was going to stop and the, and my schedule was changing from a completely different schedule. So, and then like during that whole transition, I had to move to three different, I know like in the past I talked about how one of the things that helped me dealt with, deal with the stress of this plantation is to not, um, have too much stuff, don't have any any personal items hanging up anywhere because, you know, I've literally had to move so much. But uh, the funny thing is that, uh, or not even funny, I'm just trying to, like, you know, just remain calm about everything, is that my schedule, my schedule was changed. And then now I got another email saying that they may force more people to change their schedule. So I don't know how my schedule can get any worse, but I'm just like they, it, it's really, it's really uh, getting harder to kind of like keep my morale up and to try to, to focus on doing, a, you know, a good job or a halfway decent job or whatever, because it's like there's just the change of everything is kind of, I guess, getting to me, not so much as far as like the death move, because like I said before, I literally only have the bare minimum, uh, the bare minimum of what I need to have to to do the job. Um, and I guess the last thing that I'll mention, I know there was a question about, um, it was about like if you can tell people like a female or somebody who else, like a, someone who has an attempted partner who was pregnant, if you should tell people. Um, I was just thinking about that question. Like, I know, like, with my sister, when she had, I don't, I don't, I can't remember when she said she started telling people about her pregnancy, but when she, you know, she did, like, kind of announce it or whatever, I, I kind of feel like white women's vindictiveness really came out. I know she had issues where um, at the job they would, be sneezing. I don't know if it was only white women, but I know there was, she had brought up one situation where there was a white woman who would like be sneezing and coughing and all that, um, you know, as and not covering her mouth or whatever. And as she was closer to where my, my sister was sitting or near her desk or whatever, my sister decided to spray some Lysol and she, the white woman then, you know, harassed her my sister used the word accosted which I which I appreciated but um, the white woman had then harassed her about spraying Lysol because of the other people in the office had allergies despite the fact that um, my sister you know made it known that she was pregnant and you would know was trying to avoid um, any germs so I kind of feel like 
um, if I could, um, I guess like putting like the whole pregnancy and everything in the same realm as if you're going on vacation or if you're doing any, any other, or you know, doing any other, anything else that's major, I would keep it to myself as long as possible because you don't know how, um, you know, how white people are going to react, um, especially if they, you know, they're aware of their low birth birth rate. Uh, so I guess that's all I have to share for now. Thank you for allowing me to share. I have never heard of anyone being allergic to Lysol. I'm like, like is, is that a thing? Are there people that are allergic to Lysol? I don't know. I know that at least with the white people at this current plantation, they have, um, they'll consistently send out emails if someone maybe sprays to like sprays on like some perfume or if they spray anything, they'll say, well, you know, don't spray it because there might be people who are allergic. They always go with this mite um, thing, but they don't necessarily care about the spreading of germs. But no, I've never heard of anyone like come out of their mouth and tell me that they were allergic to, to Lysol. Mm. Right on. The vindictiveness. Now, I have heard that before. Uh, other people saying white people being angry uh, or there being some sort of hostility uh, when a black person, uh, male or female, uh, was reporting that they were having a child. I have heard that from black people uh, before. Um, as for, I guess, the workplace, I'm so sorry uh, that you are being uh, traumatized, terrorized in that manner. Like, I think most humans want homeostasis uh, where you just you have a routine this is where I'm going to be sitting at I mean you know every day is different you have different tasks and blah 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 but I mean at least this is where I'm going to be sitting and this is my work schedule especially if you've been working at a company for a while I mean maybe there's some uh, occupations where if you're a new person on a job uh, and you kind of have a a not so great schedule that kind of shifts around a little bit uh, as you're kind of first starting out. But I mean, if you have some seniority on a job, like you can't even have, oh, this is my desk and this is my work schedule. It's up. Oh, you're on fourth floor on Monday, Thursday. We're going to have you uh, on basement level one. And then next week you'll be back on floor 12. What in the world? And my work schedule is shifting. I'm coming in. I'm 11 a.m. I start on Monday. Thursday, I started 8 p.m. I mean, what is going on? What this talk that right there will kill your morale. Just that alone. Everything else can be fine. Just having to deal with all that nonsense. Uh, and again, that is why I do recommend not. Ha- that is one of the reasons out of many why I recommend not having anything but the bare essentials uh, at your desk. Uh, you know, who wants to be lugging, you know, house plants and photographs and you know, candy jars and all the rest of that uh, to all of those different uh, locations. I would just really be uh, all about prioritizing self-care, uh, the tackiness of, you know, the program, them uh, telling you a day in advance. Oh, we changed the uh, internship program. Schedule's going to be changing again tomorrow. And you'll be on the 31st, uh, 31st floor tomorrow as well. Sorry, got to catch you up. Things move fast around here. I mean, that just the tackiness. Uh, of it all uh, with switching up and then people that were not qualified or accepted in the internship program, they can be accepted into the other. 
all of the qualifications and what have you uh, can be tossed for white people. That's why white people can sit at their desk and plot how they're going to terrorize the other black people in the office and maybe even some of the other white people not do their work and still get to hang out. That's why. System of racism, white supremacy. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm just sorry that you're having to deal with all that in the workplace. Uh, that is that is workplace racism uh, right there. Uh, they do that to a lot of black people. Uh, other folks who, oh, it, uh, non-Clemson grad, much obliged for your patience. Uh, if you have commentary, proceed. Uh, yeah. Hey, Gus, I hope everyone is doing their best for Friday. Um, this is a story that happened this week. Um, not directly related to work, but at some other place, some other workplace, a hospital particularly. So my wife was not feeling well this past Tuesday. So we went to the hospital, right? And that in itself was a very long wait. Um, we got there around, I think, maybe 4.30 in the afternoon. And we didn't leave till, um, until after midnight. Um, but anyway, during that time, we were having a text, uh, a, a, text uh, a group text conversation with myself, my wife, her, uh, my wife's mother, and uh, um, my wife's best friend and uh, my wife's brother to keep everyone, you know, in the know, you know, what's happening with my wife as we're, you know, going through this situation. Now, it wasn't a very big situation, um, but, you know, just let everyone know that, you know, every, you know, that my wife's okay. So fast forward to roughly the end of the evening, my wife's mother, my, my, my mother-in-law, my wife's um, mother, calls me because she feels she's not getting enough information about what's happening in the hospital, saying, for example, she's going to drive all the way down from um, Indiana to come to South Carolina, where we are, which is roughly about a 10-and-a-half-hour drive, because she feels she wasn't being kept um, updating about what's happening in the hospital. Keep in mind, we spent basically, I would say, seven out of the eight hours just waiting to be seen. Um, but anyway, um, you, know, um, you know, I let her know that for one thing, my phone was almost dead. It was like at 2% at one point before I could even get to a charger while we were at the hospital because I couldn't find a plug to even put my charger in. So before the end of the night, I let her mother know that, you know, what was happening and that, you know, my wife was okay and that, you know, she didn't have to worry about anything. Fast forward to the morning after, my wife tells me the next day that she had a conversation with her mother about what she perceived happened. And for some reason, it devolved into a conversation about how me, you know, the husband is controlling, is not letting, you know, it's controlling my wife. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. I'm keeping everything a secret. I'm not letting everyone know what's happening in the situation. Now, keep in mind that my, my wife's mother is white. So my wife is what you would call a tragic mulatto. Now, me personally, I don't really think too much about how her mother behaves from time to time. But I, I don't think it personally when she say things that I'm controlling or anything like that. I remember a couple of years ago, um, for whatever reason, I don't know how I got to this, but my mother-in-law asked me the random question, like, do you hit your wife? Um, I've never hit my wife. I don't go around hitting women. I've never raised my voice at my wife. 
Um, but she asked me that silly question, to which, of course, I simply answered no. Now, I will say, interestingly enough, my mother, who was a black woman, did ask me that same question once upon a time as well, too. Maybe there's just an assumption that black males are just going around beating their wives. I bring this up because a couple of years ago, there is a woman who knows my family since before I was born. And I'm, I turned 33 this month. And um, both my parents are from, uh, are from um, outside the country. And, you know, they know this woman. She's in her, I think she's in her late 80s. And sometime last year, she just simply disappeared. Now, she's fine right now, but she just disappeared. I couldn't get a hold of her. My dad couldn't get a hold of her. No one could get a hold of this woman. And my mother, my, my mother-in-law, the white woman, assumed that because we could not get a hold of this woman, that my, that my father had did something to her. Because a couple of weeks before she had disappeared, we were all there with her. It was me, my father, my brother, my wife, and my wife's mother going to visit her and, you know, spend a weekend with her. Because at that point, this woman had not seen my dad for quite a couple of years, and she hadn't met my brother yet. So, you know, she disappears. It turns out she checked herself into hospice care because she was not feeling well, as, you know, she's in her 80s. And then eventually we were able to get a hold of her, and, you know, she told us that she was okay. But for some reason, my mother-in-law assumed that my dad, even though my dad had known for me for, you know, longer than I've been alive, had done something to her, and that's why she disappeared. It's seeing little things like this that keep happening with my mother-in-law. I remember also, I remember having a story at the elderly woman's house who's known my family for a long time. And I ended up saying something that she didn't like where I said, I have, I, um, I have never met a white person that is not racist. And she responded, what about me? To which I responded, I don't know if you're not racist. She really was taken aback by that and was even assaulted. Like, you know, apparently I had stole her dog or something like that. But again, you know, these are the very interesting situations that she, we find ourselves in with her mother. Matter of fact, keep in mind that her mother is also married currently to a black male, my wife's stepfather, and has a history of just only dating black males in our experience. And some of the things that she says about me, my father, and other black males in general is just proof that, you know, white women, they can get in bed with a black person, but at the end of the day, they're going to say and do horrible things. And I'll leave it at that. Hmm. Well, uh, I hope your wife is a thousand percent better. Uh, that's always a frightening proposition to have to go to the hot medical apartheid. I already said this is the first thing I mentioned on the program today. It's always a frightening proposition. Uh, so I hope she is uh, doing fantastic and has recuperated and it's just a flash incident. Um, I pressed the cat seems it is not working. I'll have to get that remedy, but I have pressed the cowbell repeatedly and it has I've not heard it. So I'm not sure what the issue is. Cowbell uh, will be repaired and rolling for compensatory call in tomorrow. Uh, but Wow. Wow. Uh, under such a critical uh, period to have what seems like it could be black misandry, uh, Dr. Tommy Curry, the man not, uh, to have that uh, <laughs> interrupt, uh, 
contaminate a moment that should be like, hey, we just hope that she's doing well and there's not a problem. It's you have to fend off accusations of being a no count sneaky black male who's concealing information from the family and and the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree your dad probably accosted this female so i mean hey we got a, a family legacy of of black brutes uh who terrorize black females that's why i said that yes i was going to mention uh the gift of fear again but i'll be further off topic uh tragic arrangements uh tragic arrangements i had not even uh considered uh because non-Clemson grad, his partner, she was at the uh, wife, she was at the Cal's yoga retreat. Uh, she is non-white female, but having a white parent, like, wow, that will add some interesting moments. Uh, would be interesting, that conversation uh, from, you know, what was your perception exactly of, of how your son-in-law, this black male, was misbehaving and uh, keeping information, withholding information. Exactly, uh, what do you think was happening uh, with him withholding constructive information from you about my my health situation? Um, interesting debrief for down the road. But wow, thank you uh, for sharing the uh, multiple, I guess, family incidents. I wish the cowbell had been working uh, properly to capture uh, all of that. Um, Mm. Mm. Amazing. Uh, tragic arrangements, tragic arrangements. Uh, other folks who dialed in, uh, if you have commentary to share, uh, if we missed you totally, particularly if we have uh, any folks, if you have a code with regards to, uh, or let me make sure I'm being appropriate for the moment. So if the terrorist events white identity extremism in Texas and Ohio, if that came up in your workplace, white person brought it up, even if some non-white people brought it up, and you had to respond to all that, certainly let us know how you dealt with all that and or what you heard. If we have any folks, if you have a code with regards to uh, expecting a child and you're still working, how you deal with that, males and or females, I think that crucial information. In fact, I'll, I'll share one. This is from uh, my prenatal yoga training. The suggestion, uh, there is a lot, if you are talking, this is for females specifically, uh, if you are pregnant, once you're showing, there generally is a lot of uh, recklessness and assumed right that, oh, I can come and paw and feel and grab on your belly and oh, and how many months are you and do you know the sin, you know the whole gambit of questions. I'm sure people out there who have children know way better than I do, but I have seen enough of this that I get the gist of what to expect. Uh, defend your boundaries. It was stated uh, explicitly, and we would even do uh, yoga postures around this to get comfortable. Use your voice, use your hands. And I mean, it would even be encouraged to use your hands to phys physically back people away like hey you do not have an assumed right to just come up and paw on me even for family members that was stated explicitly even for family members like hey back up if that's anybody dad mom grandmother anybody certainly if we're talking about coworkers, you're a stranger probably a racist if you're white back up you know and and have that that you can even make an announcement that might even be something to do uh, at the very beginning like if you don't want uh, pawing and all of that to make that clear like this is still a workplace 
Uh, and I did not participate in fondling and molesting. And I like using those words when we're talking about touching, unwanted touching, especially in the workplace. I do not go around uh, fondling and molesting prior to being pregnant. Uh, and I do not expect that policy to change now. Please keep your hands off of me. I do not want my belly rubbed and touched uh, by every random stranger uh, in the office workplace. That would definitely be one. You can make that announcement. Uh, and even if you want to limit the inquiry, you know, like, hey, I am not interested in going over all aspects of my pregnancy. Thank you for your concern and well wishes. But let's just keep it focused on the job. I'm here to work, not to talk about, you know, my bun in the oven. What's wrong with that? You could just make that declaration and, hey, be done with it. Now we don't have any conversations about anything. Are you going to break? Hey, I already said I'm here to work. That is all private matters. Let's get back to Did we get a new copier today? Like, uh, that's what it would be. Like, nothing. That way I don't have to have a conversation about any aspect of this. And this will be permanent. And I think you could do that in the workplace. If anybody thinks that that would not be acceptable, that you would get in trouble or that that would cause problems uh, in a workplace, please share. Especially if, you know, you feel like you've seen that strategy tried and caused problems or what have you. Please speak up on that one. But the number again, 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Can I be heard? Greetings, retired firefighter. Greetings, Gus. Greetings, uh, everyone. Uh, I just wanted to uh, comment on uh, some of the earlier reports. Uh, the one about the uh, with the lady with the uh, problem with the hostile work environment. Uh, I know to uh, some non-white black employees that. Uh, that can be uh, quite stressful, especially if you're not expecting and or used to it. Uh, I can only state that my my experiences uh, were pretty vast as far as uh, that being a uh, a, a basic cornerstone of the fire service. Uh, in the 1980s, uh, heck, they were they were still coworkers fist fighting each other. Uh, uh, I can recall a uh, black male firefighter firefighter uh, knocking a uh, white male through a plate glass uh, portion of the fire station. Um. But so, but uh, and also in the eighties, uh, with the uh, the more up to date versions of uh, video cameras. I mean, the whole thing about cell phones—it it wasn't really uh, uh, going on during that time. But they had improved technology; had improved the uh, video camera. And just in reference to what the lady was talking about during that time, they would bring in these VHS tapes of uh of people getting 
dogs ripping people apart and and uh uh different violent things of that nature uh basically uh uh i would have a code based on you know uh having a historic appearance about myself uh not really commenting on anything in general uh especially volunteering anything uh, you know, as far as that concerned as, as a report on it as though as though I'm interested in it and uh they primarily left me alone uh because I didn't I didn't really play into what was going on I didn't engage uh probably the most popular thing that was associated with me was he is not a team player. Uh, that's when I first heard that in the eighties. Uh, I, I had never heard that before when I was a teenager on, you know, little part-time jobs, but on, you know, when you have a, you know, one of those, uh, you know, type of jobs where, you know, it's for, you know, taking care of yourself. Uh, that was the first time I heard that whole thing. Uh, I didn't take it personal, uh, at all. Uh, as long as my uh, paycheck was what it was supposed to be, I was all right with that. Uh, also, the nature of the white employees at that particular point in time, uh, a lot of them were, were war combat veterans uh, as far back as World War II when I first got on, Korean War, a lot of Vietnam. You know, some of these guys were killers. And... Uh, so that that was that was basically the atmosphere, but you have to you basically have to show that uh, you are not going to yield to any type of intimidation, and then eventually over time, uh, if they were attempting to uh, focus on you, they would leave you alone. Uh, uh, the the way that non-white black males because it wasn't any, any black females at the time uh, would get uh, would get uh, in trouble when they did something off duty and it would be reported or if they got arrested, of course, uh, then it would be, you know, some big problem for the most part. Uh, white children uh, didn't have the experience a whole lot. Uh, but one thing that I would suggest is, is that uh, what I have observed about children, uh, especially white children, if you, if you have a stoic appearance about yourself, in other words, you don't present yourself to be friendly by giving that, you know, that white woman smile, that white woman fake smile that they do. You know, it, uh, as opposed to saying something, they would give you give it that that fake smile. If if you just have a stoic look on your face around them, they would they would they would go around you like a like the plague, as far as that concern, and go to somebody else as far as with any type of playful uh, type of uh, 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 connection. And uh, but it was it wasn't it wasn't really a common thing on the fire department because you know during that twenty four hours you you can have to leave 
you know, get on that fire truck or, or rescue truck or, or whatever vehicle and go on a call. So primarily someone else would have had to uh, have that child under supervision other than someone wearing a uniform. And uh, if that did take place, it was probably a parent of that child, the female, uh, for the most part. Uh, and, you know, uh, they wouldn't stay long. They wouldn't stay long as far as they're concerned because they know that that person, that person was going to be able to entertain entertain that that type of uh, setting for long because they had work for one thing uh and uh so that's basically uh basically have been my uh suggestions to uh those earlier reports and ho hopefully i made some some sense thank you much obliged uh retired firefighter Yes, she did. Uh, makes sense. Not a team player. Man, that is a popular one. Normally, they do not. Uh, that it does end up somehow impacting your coins. That'll be the one that they say when it's time for a raise or a promotion or something like that. Like, oh, you're not a team player. Not sure we're going to be able to get you that, that promotion. You'll have to work on that one. But that is very, very popular. Uh, let's see. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if we have missed you completely, if you have commentary uh, to share, line should be open. Proceed. Grand, while folks are waiting to get their commentary together, uh, one of our listeners uh, wrote in, he shared a report. Uh, this is from uh, INC.com. Make this huge career. Whoops. <laughs> Chopped off half the title. Uh, when you leave a company, don't make this huge career damaging blunder. Uh, in most companies. Oh, this is short. I can read this. Uh, in most companies, you're given an exit interview on your last day. The interviewer, typically somebody from human resources, asks, one, why are you leaving? And two, do you have suggestions to make this company a better place to work? These questions imply that your current employer, number one, sincerely regrets that you're leaving and two, wants to fix any problems that might have caused you to leave. But that's not what re that but that's not what's really going on. You may be tempted to respond to these questions with some cogent reasons and heartfelt suggestions. You may even be tempted to vent about your boss or some other corporate blister. But resist those temptations because, number one, HR doesn't have the power to change the company. HR personnel, even those with fancy titles, are low-level employees who lack the clout to drive change. Even if you could provide HR with a surefire blueprint for massively improving the company, they wouldn't be able to do anything with it. So sharing these ideas with HR, much less venting, is just wasting your time. Number two, HR does have the power to damage your career. Contrary to popular belief, HR's job is not to make things better for employees. Beyond clerical stuff like payroll, HR's primary job is to manage risk and provide plausible deniability. To illustrate this, look at HR's role when an employee is sexually harassed. Bear with me because these two situations are quite similar. 
When an employee tells HR that, say, a top executive is a sexual harasser, it never results in the harasser being fired or even disciplined. Instead, it usually results in two things. The whistleblower gets fired, moved to a position where they'll want to quit, or told, not in so many words, that shut up about all this or you'll never work in this town again. Me Too hasn't changed this dynamic except for, now it should say, white women who are relatively rich and powerful. Number two, HR hosts sexual harassment training that cannot possibly change a corporate culture that tolerates sexual harassment and white supremacy, but which give the company cover should it be sued. Uh, Exit interviews are similar. HR isn't asking these questions because they want to improve the company. They're asking because they want to know whether you're going to be a PR problem after you leave. Let's suppose you answer those exit questions with some complaints and suggestions. Best case, best case, you'll end up with a don't rehire note in your employee file. Worst case, you could scuttle your future ability to use your former employer as a job reference. Actually, though, that's not the worst case. Suppose you have a horrible boss and you vent about him to HR. HR might tell your boss what you said, and since your boss is an SOB, he might badmouth you to your future employer, maybe even get the job offer offer withdrawn. At the very least, by complaining to HR, you've made a new enemy. In short, when asked during an exit interview why you're leaving and what the company could do better, there is only downside to being honest. Your best, indeed your only sensible move, is to express, number one, how sad you are to leave. Number two, how happy you've been working there. Number three, how much you've learned. Number four, how grateful you are for the opportunity. And number five, what a difficult decision it's been to leave. The big takeaway, the advice above, is a specific case of a general and crucially important rule of career development, a rule you should commit to memory and follow as if it were an 11th commandment. That rule is never burn your bridges. That report from inc.com. My big takeaway is to not be honest uh, when leaving a company. Uh, to try not to give them a whole lot of information. That's what it seemed to be to me. I'm not here to give out ideas. I'm not here to give out suggestions. Uh, It's been grand. Looking forward, wish you the best. That's the general takeaway that uh, I got. Maybe I misinterpreted, but I do think that's important uh, to understand the role of HR, uh, who they serve, what the purpose of these meetings is, what the purpose of these meetings is not. Very, very important. Uh, number again, 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, other folks with us, uh, if you have suggestions, comments, questions, feel free.
while folks are taking time to get their thoughts together, we should be here tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, compensatory call in, dial in. We'll uh, review a tumultuous week. Uh, I guess that's one way it could be described. Uh, lots of focus on white supremacy racism uh, the past day, uh, past seven days. That's why I was curious uh, if this came up on the job because there was so much uh, flagrant uh, discussion uh, about white supremacy. Uh, but we will certainly catch up uh, tomorrow uh, on what has transpired both with those events and other things of importance uh, that have happened over the past week. Uh, tune in uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we should have uh, final details for the Florida Yoga Retreat, uh, December 28 to January 1. Looking to be in Florida. Final details. Uh, I think we have a location uh, locked down. I talked to Chef Nadira uh, this week. She was excited uh, about being able to be in Florida for December, as I am. Uh, so we should be able to give out final details tomorrow, uh, how folks can register, all of those details. Uh, looking forward to being in Florida uh, this coming December and January, I guess, because we'll be there for January 1. Uh, that's tomorrow. Uh, let's see. I have other information. Uh, have uh, two reports myself I am looking forward to share. Uh, they are not necessarily uh, workplace race. I guess one kind of is, but I'll share both of those uh, tomorrow. Both yoga related, always have uh, yoga and racism stories. So we'll have two of those uh, for tomorrow and, and more to share for the compensatory uh, call in. Uh, I certainly hope we do not have uh, parents uh, who are listening in. I think that's the way I phrased it last week. Uh, if we have uh, attempted parents uh, who are listening, uh, that is mandatory uh, that you share uh, either if you did have an understanding of racism, white supremacy, how you managed, uh, if you recall or the details, how you managed uh, being pregnant while working and or if you were not, let's say you were a little bit more confused at the time that you had your uh, children or child. Uh, looking back, what would you change? What things would you not share? What would you do differently? What would you say? I think that's important because, I mean, wow, that's such a, a significant period uh, in people's life uh, to make sure that, you know, there's some level of, of codification, some level of preparation uh, so that we're not just going into this uh, blindly and having to kind of figure it out, not being prepared for some of the questions and, and just can better manage uh, what you're going to tolerate. I think I'll phrase it that way, what you're going to tolerate, the conduct that you're going to put up with for, you know, what it could be five, six, seven months where you are already uncomfortable. I'm going to use my words to make sure that I am not unnecessarily uncomfortable by racists and even other non-white people on the job. There we go. Number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Or let's ask this question. If we have uh, attempted counter-racist parents, uh, let's, let's, I'll, I'll, I will dangerously make an assumption that we might have some individuals uh, who at the time uh, that they were expecting a child, they 
may have been a little bit more confused, may not necessarily have been listening to uh, Neely Fuller Jr. reading the ISIS papers while they were, you know, waiting on those contractions. That's not a crime. Uh, Can you recall any moments during that time, males or females, when you were expecting child, can you recall any moments specifically from the workplace where someone did something that caused a problem or at minimum annoyed you? That might be a way that we can, you know, kind of start to piecemeal together the code or some things to think about. Can you think of any of our attempted counter-racist parents, if you are listening, can you think of at the time that you were expecting a child, if you were working, any things that your coworkers did that caused a problem, annoyed you relating to your pregnancy? If you can think of, of such an incident, and then we can, you know, think about it. If being codified, if understanding racism, white supremacy a little better would have negated that issue. That would be one folks can uh, share on. Let's see. Oh, uh, Irie in Louisiana, did you have commentary? Um, yes. Uh, what I believe it was a firefighter said about um, sh- not sharing about your um, expectancy or your um, your relationship situation as well. Um, so I, I agree with that because the less is more. I've shared uh, a couple name um, choices I had. One being. Um, like the name of uh, an African country. I think it was actually Zaire. And I, I believe Zaire is, I'm not, I'm sorry, y'all. I can't remember what Zaire was changed to right now, but I, I liked it. It, it. it was sounded regal. And I told um, a non-white black female that was um, uh, over me at the time, that name choice. And she frowned up and said, like you want to name your child after an African country? And then I shared another name that I uh, I did name my son, and he, um, a white male, come uh, always called him, uh, you know, a, a name, a name that is related to a European. Uh, I wouldn't even call it despot, just a, a person that is completely um, in medieval times, completely demonic, um, in I don't know a better word for it right now, but every time you saw me, you know, in my belly, he would say, oh, it's, you know, the name of that particular person in history. And I was like, would you, you know, could you stop? And he's like, oh, that's a cheater name. That's his name, you know. So I I think it's best no no due date announcements, if especially you're not friends with any of the people there. Um, If you do, you got to make the person almost like what Beyonce did with her friends, like make them sign an NDA. If I invite you to this baby shower, you don't share anything that you've seen there. Um, keep my confidentiality or maybe don't do it at all. Don't share names, birth dates, none of it. Um, because that was really annoying because, you know, it. I don't know what he had on his mind in particular, the white male, but yeah, it was annoying. Thanks, I mean, mine. Much obliged. I think retired firefighter. I think he said uh, last week also, because I asked him, he said he didn't uh, at the time when he had was expecting his son. He didn't tell uh, the folks at the fire station. He only told a select few. And those were, you know, some black people that he had been 
working with for years uh, and doing constructive counter-racist work. And, you know, they had uh, codified, really, their behavior so that they could, you know, work together after years of work so that they could work together. But other than that, he didn't tell anybody. Uh, And I said, well, hey, if you had a black person who wasn't too codified, would you share with that person? And he said, no, I wouldn't tell them uh, either, you know. Just no, I would I would uh, keep that under wraps uh, as best you can. Uh, And that right there, that's why I said before about maybe just making an announcement. You can because I mean, and this, I guess, might just apply for females, maybe males. You don't have to do that. But for females to just make an announcement. And you can wait. You don't have to do that at the very beginning. I would wait as long as possible. Any excuse. I've been going to Cinnabon, Cinnabon a lot. Autumn is coming up and I love Cinnabon buns, you know, and I just, you know, gained in a couple pounds or whatever. Make up any excuse, uh, baggy, anything <laughs> as long as possible as you can hold out. And then when you have to, yes, I am. And I'm not interested in, you know, having a big disclosure or however you want to uh, talk about it. You know, I, I do not, you know, want to make this. Uh, office conversation for the next, you know, four months or whatever it's going to be. I'm just here to do my job and I don't want to discuss the pregnancy at all. Thank you for your concern. Thank you for your well wishes. Uh, Hopefully we will all come out uh, healthy and can go right on uh, working hard. But uh, thank you kindly for respecting uh, my wishes and privacy on this one. And uh, I will silently thank you for your concern for my health. Or however you want to phrase it, you know, you can pretty it up. But yeah, that I mean, see if you can get that out quick and that cuts all of that out. Because see what uh, Irie just shared, even a non-white person and you share the name and you got that sort of thing. Victims of white supremacy. Uh, you got this uh, suspected racist coming up and giving you name suggestions for your child. You could nip some of that in the bud. Hey, we're not talking about this at all. Thank you kindly and keep it moving. Other folks uh, with questions, uh, comments, suggestions. Again, parents, no spectating. I guess. <coughs> uh, Stacy in the UK. Let's see our obligatory time. Let me let the second roll so we'll get over. So it'll be uh, officially 2.58 a.m. Saturday morning in the UK. Good to hear from you, Stacy. Hi. Hello to you, Justin. Um, in terms of the pregnancy experience, um, I I mean, I definitely would agree with what's being said about, you know, just uh, being mindful of who you're having conversations with, or better still, avoid having too many conversations, um, whether with suspected racists or non-white people. Um, my experience, um, well, it wasn't even my pregnancy, to be honest with you, this this situation, but it was a non-white female that I used to be friends with. And somebody else in the team was pregnant, also another non-white female. Now, the person I was friends with had had a couple of miscarriages and um, I guess was probably unlikely to ever have children again because of her age and she found out that this other non-white female was pregnant and I don't believe that 
that pregnant female knew anything about this person's miscarriages or anything like that. So she's just naturally talking about her pregnancy and um, also was pregnant with twins. So, you know, that's not uh, an everyday situation whether you're pregnant or not. You know, very few, there aren't many people who have twins. So she was even more talkative, I guess, about that, her pregnancy. And I just remember the person who I was friends with just coming to me and, you know, just tearing this person apart because she kept talking about her pregnancy and just all the kinds of hostility. And I was in a weird situation because I wasn't particularly keen on the pregnant female, but, um, you know, she wasn't committing any kind of crime because she was just talking about her pregnancy. She's just naturally happy. Uh, as I said, I don't believe she knew anything about this person's miscarriages or anything else. So, you know, there are all sorts of dynamics going on in, in the workplace. So I would just be very codified about the way in which you're sharing your news because you don't know what's going on with the people around you. And with me, when I was pregnant with my child, again, very similar situation, but this time it was a, a, a suspected racist. She had always said she didn't ever want children because she'd had a very bad relationship with her mother. And when I was expecting, yeah, I talked to my manager, but I didn't go around having lots of conversations with people in the deep. And obviously, after a while, you're going to really know that I'm pregnant because this baby is growing in my stomach. But I remember um, there was a, another race soldier, male who was also in the team, and at one point we were talking, and I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't a secret that I was pregnant. So at some point there was a conversation around it, but not, I wasn't going into detail with him. It was just more to do with work um, and probably my availability or something like that. And anyway, so it came up and he said, well, um, you know, such and such isn't very happy or whatever, because I guess I hadn't told her my life story. And she, for some reason she felt she was owed, owed to, you know, um, and he, it was the line that he gave me. He said, oh, um, I think you've got a lot of bridges to build. And that told me that there was a lot more being said about my pregnancy and whether or not I was sharing my personal business or not. Um, and that basically there was a lot of hostility. And I thought, well, none of these people care about me and they certainly won't be paying any of my bills. So... Uh, whatever's being said, I wasn't, you know, I, I mean, I had too much to focus on, like, you know, preparing for giving birth. So I wasn't going to get into any of the nonsense with these people anyway. But it was just the line. And I thought, well, what do you mean? I have bridges to build because I haven't gone around the office giving people the ins and outs of my um, pregnancy. And the last thing I'll say is um, in terms of maybe some level of codification or maybe just handling some of the pressures that will be put on you. At the time, I was working on a particular project with one manager who wasn't my sort of main manager. Um, and I had worked right up to the end of my pregnancy <laughs> because I wasn't carrying that big. And I was, you know, it, it, I didn't feel, I mean, I'd had a lot of morning sickness and stuff in the beginning, but physically I was fine and it was only in the last couple of weeks that the baby started to really grow and people even realised that I was pregnant um, and she had asked me to come in 
to a meeting sort of following week and even though my due date was two weeks away I knew I could tell that physically I wasn't going to be able to come into the office because I, I knew that at that point I could have my baby at any point so I said I'll probably be giving birth you know so I don't think I'm going to make this meeting but she said oh well you know let's see if you can make it needless to say I had my child on the Sunday morning, Sunday night so I knew I wasn't going to be making that meeting but it was this kind of just disregard for what I was saying to her you know I don't physically think I can make this meeting um, but for me personally I wasn't even taking her seriously because whether I was in hospital giving birth or not or I just didn't physically think I could would get into the building I wasn't gonna you know sort of feel under any duress to try and get into the office but um you know for other people they may have felt extreme pressure and you know I mean obviously if you're giving birth you're giving birth you can't make the meeting but um you know there will be those kind of pressures so it's just to be mindful of those kind of situations as well I'm in my long dress much obliged Stacy. Uh, that I did concede. Now, it, I could see that being one where they throw out a uh, retired firefighter's line. You are not a team player. You're going to sit up in here, your second trimester. We're a family. And you're not going to tell us anything, what, you know, the sex of the child that you're not going to give us. I could see that happening uh, in a system of racism, white supremacy. However, they do that sort of thing anyway, <laughs> with the accusation that you're not a team player or you don't tell us enough about your personal information and that sort of thing. So this would be no different. Uh, that would already be the established uh, parameter in terms of, you know, how much I'm sharing that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not here to go into my whole family uh, background. I'm a quiet person. I'm about business. That should already be established uh, as a pattern. So yeah, why would that switch for the problem here? I'm healthy. Let's get to work. Thank <laughs> like, you. Yeah. I'm here. I'm healthy. Let's get to work. At some point, I'll be able to say I'm here and the baby was born healthy and let's get to work. Uh, but I'm not surprised uh, if some folks uh, were disgruntled. Uh, you were thwarting their plans of of trying to get every ounce of kernel of information that they could about you and uh, your pregnancy uh, with the, I guess, your non-white uh, friend who was pregnant <clears throat> and the other co-worker came uh, to complain with all this vitriol and I guess she'd had a miscarriage. I just think that's important to keep, to be mindful of in general. Uh, you don't know what other, what other uh, experiences people have had. I mean, you have white supremacy, racism in general uh, to deal with, but you just don't know. Uh, so just being mindful uh, that that can be uh, a sensitive topic. Uh, it's certainly one that encourages a lot of nosiness uh, and question asking. Uh, so I would just try to be very strategic in what, how I present uh, and what I tolerate uh, around a pregnancy. Uh, other folks, uh, if <clears throat> any folks think that that might, potenti might potentially cause more problems than it solves, uh, just saying, hey, I'm not going to uh, or I would appreciate having privacy uh, around my pregnancy. I don't want this to be an office, a topic of, of office uh, discussion. I just want to focus on my work. And thanks, everyone, you know, for the well wishes uh, for me and my child. Uh, if anyone who thinks that that sort of strategy might cause more problems than it would solve, please speak up uh, to that as well. Hi, guys. Sorry. Can I just say one more thing? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, uh, it was just that I sent you an email on another matter, so I was just flagging that. 
Yep. Yes, ma'am. I will check. Make sure to check my email as well. Calder. Uh, retired firefighter. Yes, sir. <clears throat> yes, I, I I think that's a good suggestion, but uh, irregardless of of the good suggestion, white females are very very insistent. Uh, especially uh, when it comes to things of that nature, of being very nosy, especially uh, in regards to non-white black females from my observation in the workplace, uh, because that's their opportunity to get that uh, that black validation that I'm all right with the blacks uh, type of uh, uh, tag, which they seek for. I've, I've, I noticed it when I started working a 40 hour work week on the fire department and training. And there was a white female in that environment. And that's, that's the behavior that I witnessed. Certainly on, on the, the, the question that you asked is it is far more tougher for black females to have a, a solution or a code to that issue as opposed to black males. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody understands that, uh, you know, uh, as far as that concern, uh, a black male can come to work and nobody even knows that he is in, engaged to that level with the, with the, with the female, you know, unless he, unless he opens up his mouth. You know, as far as that concerned, he can just keep his mouth closed and, you know, on, on as far as that. But, you know, black female shows up to work and she's nine months pregnant. You know, it's no hiding with that. And, and what I have observed with white females, they are very, very nosy and insistent upon getting information. They would even get angry. Uh, on that issue uh, about uh, getting information from non-white black females. Uh, I, I've witnessed it. And, and, and I'm not even talking about the subject matter that you brought up, which is, you know, pregnancy and that stuff. It just, just, it, that's just their behavior as far as, as, far as from what I've uh, observed. And uh, that's, that's what I was thinking about. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That has, that's why I said, I think it's, it's great to, to be considering all of this because uh, being prepared for that in advance uh, and, and just how you want to navigate that, right. what you want to share, if anything, and then, you know, how you want to go about setting those boundaries, but touching as well, uh, be prepared for that. Uh, and again, as I said, I would, you know, even use your hands if you have to, if you see someone coming forward to do that sort of thing immediately uh backing them away uh and being really insistent about that because that's another one uh where it, it just seems to be that, that you, or even strangers i'm not even talking about workplace where you at least you know have seen these people before in your life strangers just feeling like they can come up with their hands on you like you know hey back up give me 50 feet back up and you know this is permanent like do not touch me i do not want to be rubbed Padded, fondled, none of that. Said so always try to get that in, fondle or molest, get that in. Uh, other folks uh, dialed in have uh, questions, suggestions. 
Oh, can I uh, slip something in? Uh, Irie, yes, ma'am. Thank you, and I'll, I'll end my turn after this, and thank you to the other callers and listeners um, as well for sharing and, and listening. Um, I want to say thank you very much for the um, concept of a uniform um, in the workplace because um, uh, other than, you know, comments, whether they were positive or negative on my outfits, or maybe not negative outright, but something, you know, um, elusive to being negative. Um, I, I think that's a good policy, especially for me um, going into a classroom with uh, kids this school year that I may be familiar with and some I might not. Um, and just being able to have them focus on uh, tasks at hand and not how, you know, pretty I look or something like that because I have gotten comments about my outfit um from female students and then they want to, you know, have conversations that have nothing to do with the task at hand. Um, and I also want to say that um, uh, it reminded me of Janelle Monet when she first came out. I know this is the area of entertainment, but it's still workplace in a sense because she said that when she first came on the scene, she wore um, a white shirt, uh, all white top with black pants to represent the uniform that her mother um, and father had to wear to work every day. And, um, you know, I know it represents um, the the so-called blue-collar worker, um, underpaid and overworked, and the dirty jobs we do. But then at the same time, because she did that for a long time, uh, the music was, you know, really a focus for her as that, you know, her career more than, you know, her physical presentation. And it was was very... uh, a, a quiet elegance to it. And so I want to, you know, kind of duplicate um, some of those outfits. Like I said, just, you know, plain shirt, black slacks or black uh, skirt, you know, and simple, um, you know, what they call protective style, something pulled back so we can just get to work. So thank you, Gus, for that. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Absolutely. Uh, time and energy, uh, that is uh, economics. That's, you know, labor, economics, all of that workplace racism. That's how Mr. Fuller defines economics as time and energy. Uh, and I think anything, ways that we can conserve time and energy, that's less time uh, going into planning, all of that. That's what it sounds like uh, Miss uh, Janelle Monet was saying. Got to focus more on my art. Sold a lot of records. Uh same thing. You don't have to spend a lot of time every morning uh, plotting and plot or at night sometimes uh, what you're going to wear and, and this going to that, just reducing the time and energy. And then the attention where you can still look professional. You can still look great. I'm not saying you have to wear something shabby. I'm just saying that it's it's we're not going on the job dressed to the nines. That is not the goal. That's not why we're here. And we don't want attention for that. I shouldn't be having conversations uh, with one of my students. Wow. Where did you get that blouse? I mean, you know, let's get back. What are we learning here? That's not about fashion. That's not what this class is, I don't think. And certainly, uh, I would say, especially in a workplace, like, my God, like, if this person is white, I suspect that they are racist. Like, I... (laughs) The focus should not be on my blazer, my shoes, my jewelry, 
none of that. Like, what are we supposed to be doing? Uh, how can I get a raise? These are the type of things where our attention should be, not on my wardrobe uh, and just encouraging, deflecting any unnecessary attention uh, away from that. I've seen where that can get really tacky uh, as well, even if you just tremendous, if you have the best fashion sense ever i've seen where that can still get kind of tacky uh for black people so yeah i would go real uh uniform very demure with the fashion regulated i'm here to work not to style and profile uh let's see going in order uh trying to get my emails kizzy's cousin she wrote in i've been making the most of yoga practice and meditation this week Love it. One of the callers recommended doing yoga after work, which I have found most effective. Ultimately, yoga in the morning and evening is optimal, but not always possible. So a morning meditation helps start the day off well for a day dealing with racism on the plantation, followed by an evening yoga session. That's what we did at the yoga retreat. Morning yoga, evening yoga. Uh, last week, you also, or wait a minute, last week, when you asked about codification when pregnant, I had my child years ago and I was not codified. Things to be aware of. A, know your policy and what you, you are legally entitled to in terms of medical leave during your pregnancy and maternity and paternity leave. Only tell people what they need to know. Keep your personal business to yourself. Policy and proceed. That is absolutely one. You do not want to be sitting around eight months pregnant and, whoa, what is the policy and procedure about? Let me look at this for the first time. No, you want to have gone over that well before conception. I already know uh, what it is. I got that down pat or what, you know, we're going to be expecting legally what I'm entitled to. B, be aware of women, white and non-white who have struggled to get pregnant or who have left motherhood until late so may not be able to have children. Some, not all, can become hostile even if you considered uh, you had a good working relationship or were once friends. Hmm. Summary of racist antics for the week. Number one, the non-white female I offered to help apply for other jobs as her contract was coming to an end has continued to avoid me. She doesn't even make eye contact. Hmm. Technically, she should have left by now. This may suggest that she was lying about her situation, but they may have extended her contract. Either way, her behavior towards me is highly suspicious. I believe her mission was to find out my views on the racism I am dealing with. I had no intention of doing so. That takes codification. Also, another illustration, whites can easily uh, disrupt a lot of the uh, relationships between non-white people, workplace or otherwise. Number two, another non-white female who I helped practice her interview skills and who was successful in getting the job has also been acting out of character. A few months ago, she asked me for a coffee, which I said yes. We did not do this before. There was something strange about the way she did it in front of the team I work with, uh, work with, which was unsettling to me. It seemed false. I will stop here. How many Gavin De Becker uh, references uh, do we get in this program? Like that's a book I don't even like per se. Uh, he says those type of 
uh, feelings, whatever word you want to attach to them, intuition, whatever, signals from the universe, uh, to pay attention to those. He said, you don't get those all the time, where most people don't get those all the time from someone like, wow, there's something odd about this person, or, hmm, there's something peculiar about this particular situation, like, Pay attention to those. It doesn't mean that every time the person is up to something sinister, but it does deserve exploring uh, because you usually, he says, his point, I think, unless I misread, is that you get those uh, type of feelings for a reason uh, that is generally worth exploring. Sometimes it can be uh, helpful to you. So Gavin DeBecker, The Gift of Fear. Continuing, I saw her in the work cafe the day before we were due to meet for coffee. She confirmed we were still okay to meet. I then saw a few minutes later on the floor I work on, which is quite a few floors away from where she works. It seemed off to me, especially who she was speaking to. I decided to reschedule our coffee date and sent an email blaming it on an urgent work deadline. She has been hostile ever since. It's not unusual to reschedule catch-ups, and given how much time I spent helping her with a new role, there's no reason for her to be upset. She now also avoids me, and this week, she walked past me pretending she did not see me. I know she did. This confirmed to me racists put her up to the coffee date in order to carry out surveillance as they have observed we were close. Uh, Put that in parentheses. My race soldier manager recently asked me to mentor some of the volunteers we work with most of these are non-white. This was in the context of me asking for staff resources, management basically telling me no, and the person who manages being overloaded, a race soldier. The fact that mentoring came up told me my support for non-white people had been under observation. We always are. I plan to reduce my direct support for non-white people in the workplace in favor of seeking out opportunities away from the plantation. Mm. Non-white were uh, racists are especially alert to non-white people who are looking to help non-white people with something constructive. They generally, wow, really pay attention to that. And I would generally say it is frowned on. But definitely under observation, they are always watching. Uh, And I would just say, again, United Independent uh, in a workplace setting. Just because the individual is classified as not white does not mean that they are a so-called ally, friend, teammate, homie, brother, sister, cousin, anything else. They're a victim of racism. White people easily uh, cause conflict between other victims of racism. Just be mindful of that. Uh, We try as best as we can to minimize conflict. Sometimes that just means that we minimize contact. uh, But it's easy for whites to do this sort of thing. All the time. They are most to blame. And uh, sometimes you just have to make that decision. Not going to be talking to this person anymore. Not going to be helping out other non-white people on the job. We talk about that on a a regular basis. Some other uh, non-white people, uh, callers have come to that same conclusion. I don't help out non-white people in the workplace because it's too dangerous. And, you know, too many victims of white supremacy. Uh, They can do things that end up causing more problems. So that is the treacherous environment that is the workplace. Uh, much obliged, Kizzy's cousin. I'll get our other emails as we continue. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have uh, questions, suggestions uh, you would like to share, uh line should be open. Proceed. 
Hi, Gus. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Um, good, good, good evening. Um, I just wanted to uh, kind of give an update with my situation. Um, as you know, I think I called you back in March or April, and um, I was discussing um, a situation at work, you know, where I had been put on probation and um, uh, eventually um, put on um, like paid leave. Um, and I just wanted to make a report that um, I actually was um, recently re, um, tr actually transferred to a different department within the company. So um, ultimately, uh, things worked out. But I'm, you know, still just going to, you know, be more to be cautious and be cognizant of things that are going on um, around me. I just, you know, just wanted to kind of give an update on, on that report because I, you know, for a while I was calling in and, you know, trying to get advice on, you know, how I should, you know, handle the situation. But um, after, you know, staying strong with my beliefs and not, you know, giving in to what the company wanted, they ultimately transferred me. But I know that, you know, that can sometimes mean, you know, that I, you know, have an even bigger target on my back, but I just wanted to uh, call in just to g give an update, um, you know, that uh, things have uh, turned around, and, and that's all I really wanted to say. Oh, wow. I'm glad uh, to hear that. That's awesome. Always love to hear uh, an improvement uh, in, a, uh, in a workplace situation. Uh, and thank you for the update. That's another thing I love always appreciate when people give updates uh, to make sure that we are not just here uh, talking nonsense and giving out lunatic uh, suggestions uh, to deal with serious problems uh, in the workplace. I always appreciate updates. Uh, if, you, if you used some of the suggestions that were given, fine. You can let us know if they worked or not or if they were helpful in helping you process a situation. Uh, if you didn't use them, you know, Gus and those folks are crazy. I used my brain computer that the creator gave me and came up with my own suggestions, and they worked out great. Awesome. Let us know that as well. Always, always uh, appreciate updates. And I and, think – oh, go ahead. I just wanted to say one more thing to, like, anyone who is listening and is having any issues at work, whether your probation is being extended, whether – um, you know, they're, you know, nitpicking your work, you know, like you said, documentation is key. And that was one of the things that saved me is that whenever I started to realize things were going, you know, file is to be able to have that documentation to say, you know, okay, on this date, this conversation, yeah, this conversation, being able to pull your emails, making sure that, um, you save those emails, not or, or in fact, you know, send them home or put them on a flash drive, so you always have access to them. You know that way you can always um, substantiate anything that you're saying. So one thing you you've told us a million times, and I, I'll reiterate is documentation is is key to I don't system of white supremacy, but being able to, um, you know, put yourself um, in the best position. So just keep that document, the documentation up and keep it in a safe place. Mm. Critical uh, suggestion uh, there, critical piece of refinement. 
keeping it in a safe place uh, because if you have some sort of company uh, email account that they can uh, deny you access or terminate your access uh, suddenly where you're not able to retrieve that information, absolutely uh, to make sure that you are either sending those emails to a different account that you'll always have access to uh, or saving them to a flash drive, somehow uh, getting that information saved uh, so that you have it maybe in multiple uh, places if there are any key emails uh, that you think, oh man, if I, if I don't have access to this account anymore, I don't have this data. Key one to keep in mind. Uh, and I know there are some workplaces uh, that in and of itself will be a challenge uh, because they have difficulties in being able to get access to those emails. I know I've seen some information where that can be a key component. They start to trash those emails, how long they hold them, and they might make it difficult for you to be able to send those emails to yourself or a different account. Uh, let's see. Other folks, much obliged. Again, much obliged for the update. And I was going to say, uh, with the transfer, absolutely, because we've had other uh, victims who dialed in where they had some sort of problem in the workplace, they were transferred, and that is exactly what happened. Uh, they had an even bigger target uh, at the new facility, and it was almost as if there was some unjust networking, uh, and the whites had communicated from the old facility to the new facility that, oh, you got to watch this nigra. This nigra's a problem. Uh, it seemed like that sort of thing uh, had happened uh, and that they knew, you know, all these details about what had taken place previously. So absolutely, I would be super uh, codified, super alert and continue with the documentation. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have uh, comments, questions you would like to add, line should be open. Feel free. May I be heard? Uh, greetings, caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. I have a few incident incident reports I'd like to share. Um, from this week, uh, my first one is there was a uh, this one happened today, actually. Uh, when I when I got back from lunch, there was a black male that came into the uh, the uh, area, and he was filing paperwork for a will. I know will uh, wills were mentioned, and probate was mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think. Uh, but anyways, he just wanted to know uh, where did he have to go to file the paperwork. So I instructed him on where to go. So about maybe 20 to 25 minutes later, the uh, the female who likes to call herself white, uh, dark-skinned girl, pointy ears, as she was called, uh, she came into the area and she was like, oh, you know, I was coming by here to see if that guy paid for his copies. So I already knew who she was talking about, so I let her explain further. Like, yeah, you know, it was a tall guy and he had on a plaid shirt. She didn't want to give the description of the racial classification. Because, see, that's how I know they've been talking. So I said, oh, no, nah, uh, you know, that guy, he was, um, he already came in with paperwork. And then she was like, oh, because I thought he came in before you got back. Now, that sentence doesn't even make sense because why would you come and ask me that if I hadn't seen him? If he had been here, 
or or if he had left before I got back. So she kind of just shook her head with a smirk. She was wearing a headset doing the um the uh taking in the calls as an operator. So she came all the way to the research area to ask me that. And I noticed she had a pattern of doing that with black customers. So that was one that I uh, documented. And the second one, uh, it was uh, a black couple that came in and had a, a large amount of witnesses or whatever. So I helped them go to the ceremony room. So I come back and the photographer, uh, black person, black female, was speaking to the black couple. Uh, and she says, you know, my mom always told me you shouldn't uh, marry or get with any person that's, you shouldn't have two people that's dark skinned. You shouldn't have two dark people because they're going to butt heads. Um, and, you know, that, that term, that metaphor is, I, best, I guess, like talking about bulls or uh, sheep, you know, bighorn sheep butt heads or whatever, like animals. And, you know, you should just have one person be lighter than the other. So this person is saying that her parent told her this. Uh, and this is before the person who was going to conduct the ceremony um, came in to uh, help finish the uh, session out. My next one is the white woman. There was a, a group of black customers that were leaving and I know this thing with fragrances have come up before and so she just makes this comment uh you know what I don't know what that smell is something it's a certain kind of musk she used the term musk and um black female responds saying well this is a you know I am wearing a new perfume or something that I'm trying to you know that I'm trying out to see how it works then she retracts, well, you know, maybe not musk. It's kind of like a tangy. She used the word tangy, a tangy smell. And then, you know, there was just a silence after that. Uh, my fourth one is there was a there was an incident where, I, like these next two were incidents from uh, the black female that I speak with. Uh, she said this for, this one is where a black female was doing a cashier job and uh, the white man has been practicing racism saying that, oh, well, you know, while you're doing that, you need to get stuff out of the queue. You need to do this and that. And she's like, well, this is important. This takes priority. This is about money. So I have to do this. It's almost the end of the day. Well, we're going to, we're just going to have to get with the supervisor and see what we can do about this. So the uh, white guy, he calls the supervisor and have, uh, has a conversation with her and they are able to uh, successfully talk with each other. But the black female calls the same supervisor and she's like, oh, no, well, you know, I can't really talk right now. So you're going to have to wait until I get back. So um, apparently this person has been uh, counseled or addressed about things he's been doing. So she's had a paperwork. Uh, did everything correctly, and he he apparently wasn't doing work himself. So so far, I guess that uh, situation has been mitigated to a degree, but you still have to watch out 
and uh, it's possible he could practice racism. Um, my next one is the same uh, black female said when she was back in the break room, uh, there was a codified comment made. There was texting going on, right? Um, and it was two white females sitting at another table. And one of them said, it's too dark. Okay, so she said that um, one of them said it's too dark because there was texting somebody. So I uh, concluded, well, she concluded from what she was telling me that she was texting and said to somebody next to her that, hey, you know, tell our clique that there's too many black people in here. It's too much black attendance for the white clique to come in here. All right. So she, I think she said, she said something. She said, uh, so this is what y'all are doing today, right? And the white woman says, oh, no, nah, no. Nah, what are you talking about? Because why in that context would you be saying, oh, it's too dark? Okay, so that's a, a cold, racist code right there. Um, my next one is, uh, there was a, um, there was an incident that went down with a, uh, a, a, a white female and she's, uh, been there for five years and her last day was yesterday. And apparently there was a, uh, like a bit of a scuffle or, um, an altercation that happened with her and a couple of the uh, white females. Most of them were white and the other one is non-white with the white parent. So they went to this business establishment. They all went out to eat. I guess they were trying to celebrate uh, the, uh, the one white female's last day or whatever because she got a new job. So apparently she's saying that it was some kind of a setup to get her there so that they can, I guess, team up on her or whatever. And uh, what I mean by that is, I guess they had some kind of issue with each other. And one of the white women in the group invited her, this particular girl to, uh, out to eat for a lunch break. So, uh, they apparently had been talking about this person and text messaging once again, unjust networking. Um, and it got very hostile. A lot of animosity was uh, projected out onto the white girl. And it got to a point where, you know, a white woman was making threats saying, I can do this to you. And uh, this is the person that gets everyone hired. So all of her friends is at the table. And the white girl says, oh, well, you can just get up and leave. Uh, and the non-white person is the one that gets up, throws water in the girl's face. Um, and apparently I guess the person, the white girl got up and left. So, uh, from my understanding, she works at the other building and they were telling her to, uh, basically tell the personnel person to, um, I guess address the issue. So from what I'm hearing, I guess she may have, uh, you know, pointed this out to the girls that helped do this, set this up. And she was saying, the person that got the water thrown in her face was saying that, oh, you know, I'm sick and tired of them. You wouldn't believe, you wouldn't believe how they talk about people. They talk about them like a dog. All right, this is her language. So that, see, that that gave insight to 
this chat that they're engaged in. So they're talking about people, all right, in this uh, secret chat or whatever. Well, you know, they're texting each other over this phone. Um, so I guess that's going to be exposed, hopefully, because I know I'm a part of that chat in an uh, unfavorable manner, of course, because I'm black. Uh, and just to end off, I did have a conversation with the supervisor. She was eating uh, vegetables. Um, and I said, maybe, you know, somebody can try to put her like a um, vegetable or vegan type recipes on the circuit writer. So she said, that's a, a good idea. Fruits, vegetables, and water. And I say, I support that. And she said she would uh, try to see if she can get that into the newsletter. Um, and that's all I have for now. Thanks for allowing me to share. I love it. I love it. Instead of having a, a photograph of the black children visiting the courthouse in the summertime and showing them the consequences of their actions, we can just have recipes for how we have black children eating fruits and vegetables and healthy recipe and drinking water that wasn't thrown on the floor uh, at the courthouse. That is brilliant. Love it. Uh, that is amazing. We had codification, or actually it was two, <laughs> like uh, the water incident and the text messages, explosive. My goodness, when these sort of incidents happen at work, you should be alert. Like even if you're not an involved uh, party, you should be like documenting and taking notes. Like anytime it's a physical, oh, this isn't physical, I don't really know what you call that though. Like uh, altercation, conflict, uh, I do know uh, in some jurisdictions, throwing a beverage on someone that is considered uh, simple assault. That would be misdemeanor simple assault in some jurisdictions. Depends on where you are. That said, uh, that is amazing. Uh, and then the text messages that, you know, behind this, it, you know, will depend on how all of that comes out and, and how much information is revealed. But wow, that would be very attentive uh, to all of that, uh, especially if this was some sort of uh, arranged thing and oh my gosh like wow <laughs> they I, I could see uh, where you know maybe we don't want to get into all of these text messages uh, and going through all of that because that you know could uncork somebody else could have another beverage thrown in their face like I could see where they might want to keep that uh, under wraps and maybe just try to do something to get people to stop uh, texting that's already supposed to be a rule we talked about this before all the texting when the black people are texting it's a problem and we got to go and get rules right now and sanctions white people are texting and causing all this mischief and it was well i don't want to say anything i'll just you know give out another little code to you know maybe catch her attention and she'll put the phone down and get back to work maybe but that is amazing uh particularly a non-white person to throw a water in someone's face like wow in a courthouse <laughs> i was thinking that the whole time like this is the courthouse. Like, what in the hell? Jerry Springer has broken out at the courthouse. Like, man, uh, no civility. Where's the professionalism? Like, I'm coming down here to get my marriage certificate and we got a scuffle with the court clerks. Like, I, uh, let's see. So that one. And then equally with uh, the codification. Now, I get two references uh, for Joe Feagan two-faced racism and that's in there i believe under workplace racism uh white people making the same sort of comment uh they go into uh, a restaurant or a room and they'll say oh kind of dark in here i don't know 
or she uh he has a he has a chapter specifically on workplace racism in the restaurant business and he says that that'll be one of the codes that servers will use because we you know niggas don't tip so <laughs> we'll darken your section tonight doesn't think you're gonna make a whole lot of money and they'll look at oh you put the niggas in my section uh he said this is code this is not something that they just do this in one area widespread practice uh for white people so it would not surprise me that that would be the case the click don't come to the to the break room now the niggas have taken over eh. We'll, we'll have to wait until later. That in the courthouse, uh, no less, this is where you go for justice. And they have a code for talking about black people. White people, again, white people being ignorant about racism. How do you have a code to talk about black people? How would you even know what a code is? Instead of saying niggas, we'll call them Mondays. That's in uh, Joe Fegan's book, too. Canadians, that's another one, Joe Fegan's book, uh, as well as a little dark in here. How would you have all of these codes? To talk about black people, to practice racism. How would you have all of that if you're ignorant about racism? Just following logic. Uh, let's see. With the two dark people will butt heads comment. Wow. I thought of Dr. Welsing. Black get back. Yellow, mellow, brown, stick around, white is right. Um, we have been subjected to centuries of brain trashing because I've heard that in a variety of different uh, forms. Uh, sometimes they'll say you're not supposed to marry someone who is darker than you. Lots of different uh, ways that that uh, anti-blackness is manifest uh, and disregard for black people in general. Uh, let's see. White people not doing their work, messing around on the phone. Uh, we've heard that repeatedly. And I, again, insist uh, the white people that are in charge, the managers, supervisors, whomever, uh, that they are not ignorant uh, about this. They are aware. Uh, shared before, the white people were aware when white people were on their phone, probably talking bad about somebody. They were aware of this. They had a different way of talking to them to get them off the phone. They're not ignorant about these lazy white people. Uh, they had one white woman. She was in a department with mostly black people. You can be lazy over there. No problem. We don't care. You come to a department with mostly white wait, wait a minute now. You can be shiftless with the niggers. You can't do that over here with us. They're aware of all of this. You couldn't be ignorant uh, about all of this. Just, I cannot... That happens too much. Uh, it's too consistent in our reports on workplace racism where you got all kinds of white people who are not doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, and they seem to never get in trouble. Sometimes they get promoted even and, and continue to be shiftless while they get these promotions. Uh, the accusation. Apparently, uh, in South Florida, in addition to all the other problems, we got, you know, white identity extremist violence in Texas. We got white terrorist activity in Ohio amidst all of this chaos, a potential arson explosion also in Ohio amidst all of this chaos. Apparently, there's an epidemic in South Florida of Negras stealing copies from the courthouse. I was unaware uh, of this epidemic, but I will do my part to report and make sure that everyone has proper change uh, or dollars if you got a lot of copies uh, so that there's no more nigra theft of copies at the courthouse. Uh, just using logic and being able to note 
Oh, she only runs all the way up here to inquire when it is a black person. And she even knew everything. She already had the description like she was ready to call 911. He stole the copies he had on a plaid shirt. I mean, how many copies did he steal? Did he get a book's worth? Was this, you know, five, ten dollars worth of copies stolen from the courthouse? That she knows this. And then when you question the logic of this and just get no. He was fine. He came in with his documents. Hmm. This nigger might be conspiring. We got some unjust networking. See, this nigger is conspiring to help him steal these copies. You you didn't even see him pay for the copies now, did you? <laughs> Why would you come up here and ask if you thought that I didn't see? What's going on here? Following logic. Following logic. And staying in the question lane. We talk about that on a regular basis as well. Just being able to ask questions uh, because sometimes it's staring you in the face. Why would you even ask me such a question? Why would you even come inquire? Did this nigger pay for his copies if you thought that I missed it? (sighs) Theft of copies from the courthouse. That is the new epidemic. We will touch on that once we're all done with Ohio. Texas, we will get down to serious business. Maybe we can all contribute to sending a few nickels down to uh, South Florida and leave some. They have a change disc. That's what it is. We'll have a a change disc and it'll be just for the black people so they can come and no need to steal copies. Wow. PhD and whites. And this is at the courthouse. Again, that all of this is happening. Justice. PhD and white supremacy uh, at the courthouse. Wow. Thank you for uh, taking notes and sharing. Just amazing. Uh, We will be looking forward to see if they disclose about all of the gossiping and texting that has led to all of this mischief and a brouhaha, the water thrown in the face. See if this individual gets fired. I would see in many contexts somebody would get fired uh, for that sort of uh, action. So I certainly do not recommend that. That's what counter racism is supposed to be all about stopping it from getting that point where you have to throw a beverage on somebody in a workplace setting uh, and being able to use words effectively so that you don't get that frustrated. Uh, Other folks, any other comments, questions, uh, folks want to make sure they get in before we conclude. We nab everybody. Any additional comments, questions? Grand, we should be here tomorrow. Compensatory call in. We will certainly have lots and lots to say uh, about what has transpired. The carnage, white identity, extremist violence across the country uh, over the past week. The explosion as well. Uh, Looking forward to discussing that. Much obliged to non-Clemson grad, everyone who dialed in. Uh, Again, I hope uh, Miss C is doing better. Sad to hear that uh, she was having health problems. That's why I encourage, you know, trying to take uh, as best uh, care of ourselves as we can. Uh, Just being able to maintain our health under conditions that are all about promoting black disease, non-white disease. Uh, Just try to take care of ourselves so that we can go about the business of replacing white supremacy with justice. But Missy, I hope you are, uh, have recuperated, are doing great. Take care of yourself so you can go out, continue doing spectacular things. Got that grad program, yoga training, 
Anywho, uh, we'll be here in about 24 hours. Uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Uh, let us do all that we can to keep our brain computers working well. Uh, in addition to being sober, let's be buckled up every time we are in a vehicle, passenger or driver. Uh, let's do all that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. In addition to being buckled up, let's not be on the cell phones. Not that we're going to be gossiping and talking bad uh, about other folks. But even if you're just checking for directions or trying to confirm plans for constructive meeting with non-white people, uh, that is an easy one that race soldiers will use uh, to stop us and cause a lot of unnecessary problems. Not being on the cell phone while we are driving. That is just doing the simple things to replace white supremacy with justice try to keep ourselves as safe as we can that's it creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.